start introductions like this normally on this podcast, but today I'm joined by Emmy award-winning actor and man who had no choice but to be here, Scott Clifton. Um, you might know him as Theoretical Bullshit. So Scott, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Emerson. I'm, re- I'm, I'm really excited to just have a, a conversation with you because we've interacted on Twitter. Maybe we've like, in like a big group of a bunch of people, we've had a little exchange, but uh, yeah, I really, really enjoy everything you say it's very very hard for me to find something that you say that i disagree with and so this is really exciting um but uh, i see you're a man of immaculate taste well (laughs) there's no accounting for it they say but yeah i mean i have i have no idea where this conversation is going um i have a few bullet points here but other than that um i just want to see if we can stumble on any substantive areas of disagreement um, yeah. And for those who are watching, I am having two libertarians on actually in a few weeks. So this is more, uh, it's just, I'm, I'm always between these two camps, you know, so I have to like tack differently depending on who I'm speaking to, if I'm talking to a free will skeptic or a libertarian. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, why don't you tell us a little more about yourself and kind of just briefly sketch your position on free will at the moment? Yeah, sure. Um uh, so I guess, I guess I'm not, you know, it's not that I'm a hard determinist because it, I, I'm agnostic on whether there's, you know, something like quantum indeterminacy or, you know, but I, the, the, I guess I'm, 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 I think there's something called a hard indeterminist, right? Which is the idea that whether or not it's determined free will isn't compatible with either one, right? Isn't that hard uh, indeterminism or something like that? Um, either way, I'm a free will skeptic. Uh, right. You're an incompatibilist. You think determinism is incompatible with free will. But I also think that randomness, right. you know, any combination of determinism and randomness is incompatible with free will. Like you don't get free will out of either one. So I think that makes me a hard incompatibilist. Hard in- yeah, a hard right? incompatibilist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know the words, man. I don't know the lingo. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think, I guess, I think maybe 15 years ago, I would have sort of called myself a compatibilist before I really gave it much thought. Um, and then, uh, and then I start, w- ironically, what made me uh, start calling myself a determinist was the Kalam cosmological argument, because I started going like, well, whatever begins to exist has a cause what about, and then it, I started asking myself questions about mental events and choices and things like that. And, um, so that, I, I don't know how that did that to me, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I sound a lot like Sam Harris when I talk <laughs> about this stuff. Uh, and, and I'm, you know, I'm going to try not to like have his, his voice in my head throughout this conversation, but, um, yeah, I think a lot about the 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 sort of you know intellectual feud between Harris and say Daniel Dennett, um, and I just never 
I just never really appreciated what Dennett had to say. It, it, it's a lot of it feels like sleight of hand to me. A lot of what he says seems um, uh, not self-consistent. I, 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 I feel like I hear Dennett pivoting back and forth between mutually exclusive positions all the time when he's criticizing uh, hard determinism. Uh, I'll explain. I can explain what I mean by some of that later. But so, but. Uh, let me say this, what, what I'm, what I'm really looking forward to about this conversation, what, the way that I'm sort of pitching this conversation to myself is that it would, it would be a lot easier <laughs> if I could just call myself a compatibilist. Like I, I have no, you know, my, my incompatibilism is not some part of my identity that I cherish. Like I, it's, I just happen to, to be convinced that way. And I, it would be really, really exciting to be talked out of that. Um, obviously, compatibilism is, is much more popular among professional philosophers. And, and why I'm excited to talk to you specifically is that when I hear you talk about your prior sort of hard determinist beliefs, I recognize myself in what you're saying, right? I, I, I think that one of the nice things about this conversation is that I, I kind of know in advance, here's a guy who can who, who not only understands what I believe, but believed what I believed, is able to represent me and my views and my even my objections in a way that I would totally sign off on. And yet, uh, he now thinks that that view is wrong, right? So that gives you a kind of credibility to me. Um, it's, you know, there's, I, I, I don't imagine we're going to be um, misunderstanding each other or talking past each other or anything like that. And so if there was anyone <laughs> that was likely to change my mind, I think it would be someone like you. So, so, uh, you know, let's uh, perform an exorcism. <laughs> um, I just, so my big problem is that, um, okay. Oh, can, can I just say first though, that that's also yeah. why I wanted to talk to you because I was like, you know, I, we often find ourselves, I think on the same team in some of these arguments online and saying the same exact kinds of things. Um, yeah. And yet somehow we ended up in two different places. But I um, I only ended up at this compatibilist position like in the last couple of months, I want to say. Like I've kind of been flirting with it for maybe almost a year, but I only started calling myself a compatibilist maybe like a month or two ago. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk to you sort of for the same reason where it's like, I wonder if I've kind of gone off the rails a little bit and maybe I can be like brought back in. Like maybe this will be the shortest run as a compatibilist that anyone has ever had. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, a few things have changed. I think there are a couple areas where free will skeptics are just wrong. Like they make claims that are false. Um, and this is a part of a, a general arc, I guess, where I started off as kind of an incompatibilist and yeah, gradually became a compatibilist, which happens to a lot of people. And I think for me, it was just an overcorrection. Like I kind of misfired when I looked at free will and said, oh, that doesn't actually fit in the scientific picture of the world. And, uh, you know, that's actually not compatible with our modern understanding of how the world works. And I now think that was a mistake. Like I kind of misfired. Like I did that with a few things and I think I was right about a few of them. And now I feel like I'm in a period of like correcting the overcorrection in some areas where I thought that like being an atheist meant a whole laundry list of things. And I think I was wrong about like half of those things. And potentially one of them is free will. So I actually don't see any incompatibility between like a thoroughly scientific worldview and 
the common sense notion of free will. I don't think it requires like sleight of hand or word games. And I mean, the way that I see free will is, um, I mean, I have a particular notion of what it is, but I think it also performs certain functions for us. And I think those functions are mostly good. Um, and what I find is that free will skeptics seem to think they're mostly bad. So I actually do have substantive disagreements with free will skeptics. Like, I think that some of the things they say are actually wrong, but then we have this other disagreement where I actually like the functions that free will performs for us. And some free will skeptics seem to not like those functions. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that might be one area where we, where we actually disagree. Yeah. That I, I'm curious to hear what you say about that. I, I go back and forth. I mean, it's almost like a, a cliche at this point where compatibilists and hard determinists are constantly telling each other, you're, you're a hard determinist in everything but name, or you're a compatibilist in everything but name. And I'm so sick of hearing that. Um, and both sides can can say that, really. And I've heard it from both sides. Uh, and and I, you know, I, d I don't want to get stuck in one of those in this conversation. Um, I get so if I guess if I had to, like, distill like the hurdle, right? For me, it would be even if uh, let's let's say we discover that ontologically we're on exactly the same page, right? Um, and maybe maybe ontologically will translate to morally being on the same page. Maybe it won't. I, I'm not sure, but I, I need to be convinced. What what I, what I would like to be convinced of is that there is something compatibilists compatibilism has to offer that I don't have that I actually want. And that would be it. I mean, if there is something compatibilism offers that I don't have that I want, uh, then I, I think I would be a compatibilist. But I think the only things that compatibilism does offer that I don't have, I don't want. And in fact, I think are, uh, well, you know, for lack of a better word, bad, mm -hmm. uh, like retribution and you know, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll just see where we go. Just on the all but name point, I actually was a compatibilist in all but name. So, I mean, like, maybe I'm the only person who that was actually true of. But, you know, like, ever since I, you know, first learned about it, I didn't really think about it. And then when I was, like, 19 or 20, I started thinking about these sorts of issues and became a, you know, hardened compatibilist. And I've constantly found myself at odds with other free will skeptics, you know, about, like, praise and blame and, um, you know justly deserving reward and punishment. Um, yeah, like I was constantly at odds with other free will skeptics and I thought this was something that we could have like kind of internally. And then when I started listening to, I started revisiting some of the compatibilist and incompatibilist debates, like particularly with Dan Dennett and Greg Caruso. Yeah. And when I heard that debate, I was like, I already agree with everything that Dennett is saying. Like I might, I think I actually am a compatibilist in all but name because there's kind of a blurry line between the metaphysical issue just of like, you know, Oh, this is an interesting question about whether or not we have this weird capacity. Um, but then there's the more practical side of it, you know, like the moral responsibility stuff. And um, yeah, I think that stuff actually does matter, but I was constantly at odds with other free will skeptics, um, including you one time actually on Twitter, which we talked about once. Oh yeah. Um, what, what, remind me again, <laughs> what was it that we said? I, um, I like quote tweeted some story and I don't want to go into all the details because it sounds bad when you just put it cold, but it was a very specific story with particular details 
where there was a case of like vigilantism, which in my opinion is often not justified, but in this case it seemed justified to me because of the special circumstances. And I said something like, oh, this is way better than Christian forgiveness. And then um, you saw it and quote tweeted and said, no, it's not. And then we got in like a long thing about it. But I mean, it basically did come down to like moral responsibility and retribution and that sort of thing. But, you know, I also got into it with um, uh, Aaron Rabinowitz of Embrace the Void, who's a philosophy professor at Rutgers. He came on the podcast and we argued for a long time about whether it was justified to hate people if determinism is true and luck swallows everything. And I was firmly on the side of, yeah, of course. And he was firmly on the side of, no, like, how could you justify like hating someone if determinism is true and luck swallows everything? And to me, that just sounded like nonsense. And then eventually I came to think like, oh, wait, I'm a compatibilist. (laughs) That explains the difference between me and other uh, determinists here. Yeah. Oh, we should. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that, too. So let's start with some common ground, I guess, yeah. since we're kind of, we keep talking about having a conversation. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so we do have some common ground, though, like neither of us are libertarians. And uh, even though I see free will, like it does perform all these functions, and I like a lot of the functions it performs, there are some functions it performs that are bad that you can get rid of by rejecting libertarianism or just by being a, uh, you know, by being a reasonable compatibilist, like free will isn't just by itself a justification for like the death penalty or um eternal conscious torment so um yeah i don't know do you want to touch on that at all like do you like what where where do you think we have some common ground uh okay well yeah so well let me ask you i mean so i uh do you i i don't think um retributive justice as any place in a uh, a sort of morally enlightened worldview, I, I don't think I think everything that you get uh, from retribution that's actually good, you would get from a kind of consequentialist, you know, I, I, um, view of things anyway. So I don't think um, punishing somebody just for the sake of just because they deserved to be punished. And we can come up with like thought experiments that sort of control for all the relevant variables and, and, mm-hmm. and then ask ourselves, you know, what, so what's left, um, which I, I intend to do with you. Um, but I don't know. Do, do you think retrib? I mean, I, I, I assumed going into this that, that we would agree on that, but, but hearing you talk now, maybe, maybe uh, we don't. Um, I mean, it depends on, what you mean by retribution. So I think that we need, like, I think we would have common ground in the area of criminal justice reform. Like, I think that, yeah, you know, we, I want to abolish the death penalty. Um, but I don't think that you, I don't think free will by itself justifies something like the death penalty. Like, okay, you believe in free will. I still think you've got a lot of work to do to justify something like the death penalty. Um, right. I, I don't think that like, uh, you know, and same thing with criminal justice reform. Like, I think we, should there should be less severe punishment for a blue collar crime it's kind of right. over prosecuted right now and i think there should be more prosecution for white collar crime yeah for sure um, you know but i just don't see that as connected to free will like i think that free will is connected up with responsibility and being responsible for what you do and being held responsible for what you do you know like deserving reward and punishment but i think that one area where i disagree with free will skeptics is they think the best way to achieve kind of criminal justice reform 
is to like deny free will. Like Greg Caruso seems to fit into this camp where he's like, oh, I know what we should do. We should deny that we have free will because it's a huge obstacle to criminal justice reform, the belief in free will. And I think that's just false. Like, I, I don't think that all the people who want criminal justice reform, like, don't believe in free will or something like that. Like, I just don't, it seems totally unnecessary to me and well, it has tons of costs, you know? Sure. I think you could even be libertarian and want yeah. criminal justice reform. Yeah. yeah. I, I, <laughs> like I believe in libertarian free will. It doesn't get you the death penalty. Yeah. Okay. So here's, okay. So let's do let, just, fuck it. Let's jump in. Um, here's a thought experiment, which I, I know my answer to, and I'm just curious <clears> what yours is. So imagine you have somebody you know, psychopath, serial killer, you know, somebody, let's just say somebody who raped and murdered a woman. Right. Um, and there's this new scientific breakthrough where we come up with uh, a magic little pill or an injection or the vaccine of some kind or whatever. And, uh, you know, this person is already incarcerated, right? They've been convicted. Uh, and, uh, and we can give them this pill now. And this pill uh, will not only completely eliminate any desire they ever have to to harm another human being again, but it it makes them see themselves the way that the rest of us see them, such that they are mortified by their own behavior. You know, they're, they're appalled by it. Um, and so there's the, we. So I'm stipulating for the sake of this thought experiment. I mean, it is guaranteed that they're never going to harm someone ever again. Um putting aside that we we may still want restitution stuff like that uh do you think it's justified to punish to continue to punish that person i think that there are punishments that would still be warranted yeah like i don't think that you should again i don't think they deserve the death penalty and i wouldn't want them tortured or something like that but i make arguments against that that have nothing to do with free will um, but I think that, you know, I would want to give the person the pill, but I think that, you know, in this, th I have two thoughts about this, but I'm trying to resist one of them right now. But the first thing is just working within the thought experiment. Um, I think it would be a bad idea to just allow people to get off scot-free. They can do whatever they want and then they just take a pill and then they're free to go. Like, I think that that would actually be abused like pretty easily. I mean, if we're actually trying to imagine this you know, in the real world, I think that letting people just do whatever they want and then sign up for the pill and then just walk out of the clinic the next day, I think that would be a pretty bad situation. Okay. But that, to me, that sounds like a consequentialist objection to it. Mm -hmm. Like, like I agree with that. You're right. There are some pragmatic issues there because in a system where everybody knows that I can murder someone and then take this pill and I will be mortified by the murder. But Hey, at least I got the murder done first. Right. I totally agree with you, but, but that's a, that's a consequentialist objection, not a uh, moral responsibility objection. So I, I'm, I, if I you, like if to appeal to both. Them. I, I like the, I, I mean, I have sort of a mixed account of this. So yeah, I want, like, I do appeal to consequentialism, um, for that, but I also think that they just like deserve punishment, but that's to do with how I view free will. So, I mean, we haven't actually talked about how I view free will, but no, I think they would actually deserve punishment because they did something voluntarily, intentionally in accordance with their will and they're therefore responsible for it. Um, but, um, maybe, maybe we should talk about how you, yeah. view free will then. 
Yeah. So how I see free will, I see it as a, Dennett put it this way and I really liked it. He said, it's a naturally grounded social construction. So I know if anyone is like me and they have kind of evangelical programming, um, you know, they start hearing the kill bill siren as soon as they hear um, social construction because they're just like, that's postmodernism, but it's, it's not postmodernism. Um, <laughs> lots of things are social constructions and they're real, you know, like Goldman Sachs is a social construction, but it would be crazy to be like an anti-realist about Goldman Sachs <laughs> or like, uh, you know, us law is a social construction, but it's still real. And, um, but yeah, um, you know, free will is ultimately something that's grounded in real things like real conditions that are either met or not met, but you know, we can decide what free will is or isn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean it in a really common sense way. Like I, I'm not being excessively revisionary about this. Like, I just mean that you can do what you want. Um, if you're doing something voluntarily, intentionally, um, in accordance with your first order will, uh, yeah, I mean, then you did it freely. So, and like, this is obviously connected up with responsibility. So if those conditions are met, then I would say that you're responsible for what you do. And if those conditions are met, then people deserve praise and blame or reward and punishment. Like, I think they really are deserving of praise and blame or reward and punishment if they do something intentionally, voluntarily with approval of their first order will. Um, yeah, so I think that that's that's basically how I see free will. But I also think that this matters because free will does things for us. Like it gets us moral responsibility. It means that we're responsible for what we do. You know, it's like, it's a really practical issue, free will. It's like, I don't really view it as this abstract metaphysical question, which is part of why I ended up becoming a compatibilist in the first place, because I don't view this as like vacuum sealed off into, uh, you know, philosophy land. Like, right. I think this is actually practical yeah. and denying free will means that you lose all the functions that free will performs for us, like being responsible for what you do. And I think that would be a bad thing, you know, whereas someone like Caruso embraces the idea that people aren't responsible for what they do. And I just think that's crazy. Maybe, I mean, maybe we should define responsibility here because I think there, there's, uh, I mean, different people put it different ways, but you can, you can sort of separate responsibility into two different ideas um, like, uh, there's, there's this philosopher, uh, I think his name's Bruce Waller. Um, and he distinguishes between fault blame and character blame, right? Like, you know, Sally did it. I mean, we can blame her because she's the one who did it and she's the one that we need to, you know, prevent from doing it again. She's the one we need to incentivize to not do it again, she, you know, whatever. Um, but fault blame, you know, so that, that would be character blame and then fault blame would be, you know, Sally is ultimately responsible for, you know, for having done it. She is, she is the, um, you know, singular sort of locus that is responsible. Now that, now that's very libertarian. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm not sure what, I'm not sure what we need beyond character blame. Right. Um, you know, so so what, what do you mean when you say someone is morally responsible for something? Well, I mean, I just mean that those conditions are met. So they are the proximate cause of what happened. You know, like this is something I think free will skeptics do where they kind of inflate a bunch of notions 
And then they say, well, that can't be right. So we don't have free will or we don't have responsibility because we don't have this massively inflated sense, you know? So I mean, responsibility just in a really straightforward way, like you were talking about, like they're just the proximate cause of what they did. You know, they did it on purpose. They did it intentionally. They did it voluntarily. They did it like in accordance with their will, you know, like with approval of their first order willing. And, um, that's why they're responsible. You know, if those conditions weren't met, then they wouldn't really be responsible in the same way. So I just mean you're the proximate cause of your, you did it because you wanted to do it. Uh, okay. So could we, I mean, imagine a world where free, the, the, we didn't have the term free will. Um, would, would volition cover all the same bases? You know, instead of saying he did it of his own free will, we could say he did it of his own volition and that does the job. Um, it's pretty close. It's one of the conditions I named, you know, voluntary versus involuntary. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely part of it. It seems like you can imagine cases where that condition is met, but we would be hesitant to ascribe responsibility to them. So I kind of added a few more conditions there. Mm -hmm. Um, but you're pretty close. I mean, yeah, if you do it of your own, yeah, if you do it of your own free will, (laughs) like if you do it volitionally, like, yeah, that's, then you're responsible for it. And then, uh, you know, those other conditions are sort of meant to correct for extenuating circumstances or something that would otherwise make us think, oh, well, they're not responsible in the same way that someone who meets all those conditions is clearly responsible. Yeah. Okay. Where do we go from here? Uh, well, I, I would I, put I, it to you then at this point. Okay. Why do we need more than that? Like, I mean, isn't that enough? Like, we have a term for when people do things intentionally, voluntarily, and so on. Like, the term for that already exists. It's free will. And I don't see how anything I've said so far is slightly incompatible with determinism. Well, okay, so here, that that's a great question, because this, this is why I asked in the beginning, um, we're still in the beginning, who am I kidding? Uh, <laughs> you know, what... Uh, about about more responsibility and re- retribution specifically, right? So you're saying, you know, why do we need more than that? And I guess I would say I don't think we do if you're using free will as a synonym for volition. I mean, the distinction between choices that are volitional and choices that aren't does so much of the work. I mean, it's, you know, wh- whether you intended to stab me or whether you just fell with your knife mm-hmm. and, and pierced my chest makes the difference between whether you're likely to try to do it again, you know, whether you're actually a dangerous agent out there in the world or not. Um, so if free will is just a synonym for volition, I-, I guess I would say, no, we don't need more than that, but why are we even using free will, which is con- confusing? Let's just use volition. But it seems like that it's not as simple as that because I, I think you're arguing that free will gives us this extra thing that that my worldview doesn't give us, which is retribution, and I, and that's that. This is why in the beginning I said, you know, what what does compatibilism give me that I want that I don't have? Because I don't I don't want retribution, and I don't think you need it, and I think we can get everything we want morally, socially, legally without retribution. Um, so maybe that, maybe that's a, a, a sort of place that we should. So I guess I want you to define retribution. I mean, is going to jail retribution? No, no. Going to jail would only be retribution if you were going to jail just for the sake of retribution and there were no other sort of consequentialist benefits. Yeah. When it, yeah, it's, yeah, it is because, because it's so hard to, you have to do these like thought experiments to separate out the retributive part 
of certain punishments from the consequentialist part of certain punishments. And that's why I came up with it, you know, the, the pill thing. I, I don't think I came up with that, but, but the, you know, that that's a way to control for, I mean, and even then I failed, like you pointed out, I failed to control for all the consequentialist considerations there, right? Because people could abuse that system if they know in advance that they're going to get that pill. Okay, maybe we say that everybody's administered the pill in secret. You know, nobody actually knows <laughs> that the pill, at, the government doesn't tell us that the pill exists, you know, whatever. But then people, of course, would be outraged because they would think anybody who got the pill is actually just lying. Um, so, yeah, so we live in this, this, this you know, pesky real world where, where... Mm-hmm these things are inextricably tied to each other. And so it's really, really hard to separate out pure retribution from consequentialism, right? And so, uh, yeah, when I say retribution, I'm, I'm talking about j- just pure retribution for the sake of punishing someone because they deserve it, even if all the other considerations are, are sort of taken care of, uh, free consequentialist considerations. I just, um, I mean, I just want to take one step back, though. I, I don't think that volition is sort of synonymous with free will. It's like a good first approximation, but I think there are other conditions that are that are important. But for the uh, retribution point, I mean, this is this is where things get kind of interesting for me, where I, I sort of start to get confused about what free will skeptics are talking about, and I start to wonder, you know because compatibilists are always accused of playing like kind of word games or like semantics or something. And it's like, what, what is this extra sense that you're talking about? I'm not sure I know what you're talking about. Like when free will skeptics talk about like, Oh, okay. So sure. You deserve like, you know, what's going to happen, but you don't have like basic dessert. You don't have like super special dessert. It's right. like, okay, like, what does that mean? Like, what does that do? What is the practical difference between these two worlds? It's like, well, you don't really deserve it, but we still act in exactly the same way because of uh, we have these consequentialist justifications. But it's not because you deserve it. Like, no one deserves punishment. And it's like, I I don't know. I just get confused. Like, what what is the practical implication of what you're saying exactly? Because I don't, like, don't give me, like, a thought experiment because this is, like, a practical issue. Like, what are the different policy recommendations or ways of being in the world that result from what you're saying, as opposed to the more commonsensical way that I'm approaching it, where it's like, yeah, people have free will. They do what they want. They're responsible for what they do. Well, I mean, even though you, you and I tend to agree on criminal justice reform and, and, you know, the death penalty and things like that, um, a lot of compatibilists like Dennett. Okay. So here, here's something that, I'm going to try to, uh, if I'm not answering your question, uh, and I'm, I may not be, just, you know, interrupt me. But there's, do you remember that feud between Dennett and Harris? And and there, there, so it, and they, like, had an email exchange back and forth, and the world watched eating popcorn. Um, and, there, and in the beginning, were, were the, there was one, one reply that Dennett made to Harris, where Dennett says, you're a compatibilist in everything but name only. Sam. And then one paragraph later, I'm not even kidding. One fucking paragraph later, Dennett goes, but if Sam Harris had his way, we would let all the prisoners out of prison. We would tear up all the social contracts. And I'm like, you, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, do you? Like, you don't even know what you're arguing against. So to me, it seemed like he was speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Um, and that, that, that's, 
that's where I constantly get stuck. It is this, are, are we just ar- arguing over semantics or are we arguing over something practical? Because Dennett is, is flat out incorrect that on Harris's view or on someone like my view, that we should tear up all the contracts and let everybody out of prison, right? I mean, he's completely ignoring the consequentialist reasons, the very consequentialist reasons that he appeals to himself when he's arguing for free will, right? So uh, I'm I, I'm embarrassed. I mean, I'm just as 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 confused as you are about what you know, I don't know really what moral responsibility gives us that my worldview doesn't that I actually think is good for us. Um, and retribution, you know, punishing somebody just for the sake of what, I mean, I guess the, the way to, uh, to define retribution would be two wrongs making a right, really. I mean, it's, 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 it's hurting someone for the sake of hurting them because we, they, they should be hurt because of what they did. Um, they hurt someone else, and so they, there should be balance in the universe. You know, they should be hurt. And that, I think there's absolutely no place for that in an enlightened moral worldview. But I think that is what free will, can, it's kind of slippery slope from free will to that. Maybe not even a slippery slope, maybe it's already there. I mean, I just, I don't think that I would sign on to that, though. Of like, I don't think you would either. <laughs> but I, that's Okay, so I don't believe in like punishment for the sake of punishment it's like punishment because people deserve you know they they did something they're responsible for what they did okay so, so they yeah, deserve if, punishment if you could like if if the word deserve was stricken from your vocabulary mm-hmm. what would you how would you say that same sentence again well i would be i think i would be backed into like a more compatibilist just or i mean a consequentialist justification at that point but i'm saying i think that you can make a consequential justification for some of these things but really that's not how i'm thinking about it and i don't think that's how most people think about it like you know commonsensically they just think well yeah he did that he meant to do it it wasn't manslaughter you know it wasn't an accident like it was uh you know we have these distinctions in the law you know that makes that uh you know we have this term already for people doing things in accordance with their will um, versus some other extenuating circumstance. And then if they did it in accordance with their will, then uh, they're responsible. And it looks like my camera just became unplugged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you turned into like a big yellow circle, man. What happened? Are you okay? Uh, Is this some weird new disease? I, hmm, let's see here. <laughs> um, let me just uh, just jiggle the cable here. <laughs> oh, please work, please work. I mean, I guess... Yeah, that's weird. It just it just straight up turned off. Now he's muted. Well, everyone, let me tell you, when I was a little boy, uh, I'm hosting the show now because Emerson's taking care of shit. Oh, God, now he's gone. Oh, no, he's back. He's back. Thank God. I don't know how to host anything. Emerson, come back. I need you. I'm scared. Okay. Well, I'm definitely buying a new camera after this. (laughs) And last time I went on, so I went on stream with um, Jonathan Pierce on his channel. And like five minutes before we went on, my camera did the same thing. <laughs> oh no. Did it, did it ever come back on? Yeah. It came back on like right in the nick of time, but it's like, oh, can, I just need you to stay on. That's, that's really, <laughs> you have one job. Yeah. Um, okay. So 
I don't want to just get bogged down in, um, you know, oh, what do we mean by this or that? I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just okay. trying to identify like a substantive um, area where you and I would make different recommendations as a result of. Oh, right. So I was saying how I think that there is actually more than just a consequentialist justification for like punishment. Um, oh, well, that's yeah. huge then. So wh what would right. that be? Well, so you add, well, it would be that people deserve punishment because they did something freely. Like it would be the thing that you're trying to uh, resist because you said if you had to remove the language of dessert, then like, how would you characterize it? And it's like, well, I would have to cash it out in some kind of consequentialist way, but that's not really an accurate reflection because I have this sort of mixed view of, uh, of, um, Do you think that like the idea of moral dessert is like in some way irreducible? Like it just can't be um, phrased differently, or there's no there's no synonym for it that exists, or or it just can't be. Uh, you could put it in other terms, but that's just not how I think of it, or other people think of it. Like you know, I'm like again, I'm just approaching this in a more like common sense way. Like yeah, you people are deserving of punishment if they do something according to their own free will. And like, that's just how I'm viewing it. I'm not, uh, you know, playing a game with words or something like that. It's, I, I think that's how people normally operate in the world. Right. Yeah. But I also think that, I mean, I, I, you know, I've heard the word deserve in different contexts. And sometimes I, I mean, I just, I can tell when somebody says, you know, so-and-so deserves this, they actually mean something different from this other guy over here who's saying, oh, I deserve such and such right i mean it, it I, I again there's like there's like you know richard ramirez murdered a bunch of people you know obviously he 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 deserves to go to prison in the sense that he's the one that did it he's the one we need to quarantine from the rest of society he's the one we need to incentivize not to do it again he's the one that we need to rehabilitate or correct or you know whatever however you want to think of justice um but but d does he, d I don't think, I don't think he deserved to have the parents that he had uh, and, and the, the mm -hmm. I don't think he deserved the abuse that made him the way that he was. I don't think he deserves the brain that he had. I mean, uh, that's just, it's all bad luck. I mean, the guy from beginning to end was just straight up unlucky. So I, I in one sense, of course he deserved, because we, he's the guy that we need to get in jail so that more people don't get murdered and so that other people don't see as an excuse to start murdering right there's like all these good good reasons why he should be punished or you know put in prison um but i don't i uh, beyond that i don't know what it means to say that he deserves to no I, we're we're in total agreement there like it's uh you know of course he's unlucky like so this is where we would kind of join forces against people who think you have some kind of really deep sense of ultimate responsibility right. yeah yeah um you know no you are ultimately the product of luck but i i don't think that free will means being able to will what you will or something like that or being or like i don't think that free will has ever meant that you get to choose your parents or something like that. It just means that you're kind of the proximate cause of your actions. And yeah, but a libertarian might the, say that you're, you're, that free will means that you are the way that you are in spite of your parents, you know, or, well, or that you are not, um, you know, who you are is not in any way contingent on your parents or your genes or your, 
surroundings. It's, it's entirely, you know, contingent on the choices, the free choices that you make as an agent, which are not uh, determined by any of those things. So, I mean, so I, I, you're not saying that, but a libertarian it, it would not be saying the same thing that you are. You know, I think it depends on the libertarian, actually. Like, I think that oh, there are, so I'm having two libertarians on um, in a few weeks, and by my lights, they're on the more reasonable end of the libertarian bell curve, um, because I didn't have any respect for libertarianism before I started speaking to a couple people in particular. One of them is a Christian, one of them is an atheist. I think he's the only atheist in the world who believes in libertarian free will. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's kind of made me, I don't know, I wouldn't say like respect the view more, but it makes me realize that a lot of my exposure to libertarian free will has been exposure to like the worst possible version and like the least plausible, like <laughs> least reasonable possible conception of free will that's out there. And it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that this is just a more reasonable version of free will, like compatibilist free will is a more reasonable version of it. It doesn't really get us too far away from the common sense notion. Like, I think that stuff like libertarian free will is just this really inflated sense of free will. I'm not even sure if the proverbial man on the street would have the language to talk about the kind of libertarian free will that people talk about. Like, genuinely, I think that if you just asked them what free will meant, they would say something like what I've said, like you can do what you want and, you know, no one's making you, it's just, uh, you know, intentional, volitional, yeah. um, in accordance with your will. Like, I don't know if they would even mention determinism or something like that. Actually, I, I used to, I used to disagree with that, but I, I think that you're probably right now for just empirically. I, I think that you're probably right. And I've heard you, um, introduce the idea of, I mean, I do. So, so I think that maybe most people on the street would say, you know, if you ask them, uh, you know, could Richard Ramirez have done otherwise, they would say yes. Mm-hmm. But, but if you drill down and drill down and drill down, they might end up meaning something like what you proposed, which is a kind of epistemic could have done otherwise and not a, a sort of metaphysical could have done otherwise. Um, maybe, I don't know. Uh, I don't know either. I mean, like, you'd have to drill down pretty far, I think, to get to that point. But yeah, there's kind of this inflated sense of could have done otherwise. And then there's a more like a down to earth sense of could have done otherwise that's perfectly in line with our like everyday usage of that type of language. Um, and it's totally compatible with determinism. But um, coming back to the point about uh, the point of agreement between us about not being like ultimately responsible for your nature and therefore not ultimately responsible for your actions. I thought I would read a passage from um, a guy who you oh, love. Okay. Yeah. A person who you've never disagreed with about anything. Um, <laughs> hey, now, Hey, <laughs> Hey, I have, I do. There's this one passage that I thought um, is uh, relevant to what we're talking about here. And I actually, I've, I've sifted through this, quote-unquote book it's like 15 pages long but i sifted through this book trying to find this one particular sentence so um there's not a person on earth who chose his genome or the country of his birth or the political and economic conditions that prevailed at moments crucial to his progress and yet living in america one gets the distinct sense that if certain conservatives were asked why they weren't born with club feet or orphaned before the age of five they would not hesitate to take credit for these accomplishments so (laughs) definitely a couple bangers in there I mean, he's, yeah, if he's not being hyperbolic, then he's wrong. 
I think he's being hyperbolic. Yeah, um, he's poking a little fun. But I mean, he's talking about these like self-made men, you know, who like yeah. really do seem to view themselves as like responsible in a way that is unintelligible, like responsible in a way that is literally incoherent. Because yeah. you can, as far as I'm concerned, you can only have a very limited form of responsibility. Like, yeah, you don't get to choose your parents. You don't get to choose your circumstances. You don't get to choose a whole range of things that determine what you'll be like and how you'll even use your will in the first place. So, like, we're in agreement about so much, but yeah. I'm saying that being the proximate cause of your actions is all that it really requires to say that you did something intentionally, voluntarily, in accordance with your will, and are therefore responsible for what you do, because you did it and you meant to do it. And, uh, I mean, that's all I really mean by it. It's a pretty straightforward notion of free will. So this, like, standard free will skeptic strategy, or incompatibilist strategy of kind of inflating and exploding the concept of free will, where it's like, well, okay, you can do what you will, but you can't will what you will, and it's like, who cares? I mean, like, why should I want the, who cares that I can't will what I will? That's not what free will has ever meant. Or they say, oh, yeah, sure, you can deserve punishment, but you can't deserve punishment. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, they just keep inflating things where it's like, okay, well, you don't have basic dessert, or you can't will what you will. And it's like, who cares? Like, again, it's just like, you're inflating this to this thing that you can't possibly have. And saying, therefore, we don't have free will. But I, but I think, I, I, I think there's an intuition working there, which is that you're saying, who cares about the difference between those things? But I think, uh, I think a, a lot of us have this intuition that the difference actually does matter in that it, 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 um, it changes how we actually pragmatically respond to someone. Um, you, I, I mean, what, hate was one example mm-hmm. brought up and maybe, maybe that's something that we should talk about but um yeah let's talk about hate uh, do you think it's justified to hate people i i, I hate to be that guy i mean i i think it, it well it's it's going to depend on what we mean by hate right okay so here, here's my answer if it if it's justified to hate the tornado that killed my father then yes, I think it's justified to hate someone. But if it's not justified to hate the tornado that killed my father, then I, then no, it's not justified to hate anyone. Hmm. So do you? I mean, do people you, people do, do say tornado? fuck cancer. Huh? Yeah. Well, right. Well, it's it's funny. You know, I've always said that. You know, in my in my most enlightened moments, you know, when I'm like my most zen or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, when someone really wrongs me, I mean, they've real like they've, you know, we're like really wrong me. Um, when I'm at my best, I'm not I, I can somehow not be angry about it for too long. Mm-hmm. Right. I can just I just I'm just forward looking. Right. And I don't hate them for it. I recognize that they are just like me. If I switched places with them, I would have been them. And that's, you know, so there's no it, there's no utility in me hating that it doesn't do anyone any good. In fact, all it does is caught hating them causes me unnecessary suffering. And so there's a good reason if you can to not hate people in my least enlightened moods. I literally hate the remote control when it's not (laughs) turning the TV on. Right. Like I'm, I, I become this crow magnum that like is, is like 
agentizing, you know, th- this inanimate object because it, I, I'm treating it as if it's wronging me in some way, as if mm-hmm. it chose to hurt me. So uh, I don't know, you know, I mean, so I want my aspirations are to be that that version of me that doesn't, you know, not only doesn't hate the remote control, but doesn't hate people because I'm I mean, that this is a pragmatic reason, but I'm just happier not hating anyone right Right. Uh, and and probably the rest of the world is better off with me not hating anyone if i'm always just forward hate there's something about hatred that is um backward or that that is backward looking whereas there's something about love that is forward looking uh and and i i know that sam harris has talked about the asymmetry there I, i think the asymmetry is a little different from how he puts it i can't remember how he puts it but to me that maybe that's the difference and and consequentialism it makes sense that i would think that because consequentialism is forward looking and moral responsibility tends to be in a lot of contexts backward looking if that makes sense i mean i think what you're saying is um you know like very wise in many contexts but i just don't really see how um free will bears on it such that like i couldn't adopt what you're saying where you're like oh yeah you know i am actually better off if i can let it go but I, you know, I don't think that really um, is unavailable to like a compatibilist or something, or even a libertarian. What you just said about kind of letting go of hatred being good for you. Um, well, then that, yeah, but then that 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 raises the really important question. You know, you you asked whether hatred is justified, right? Right. And so if if you're kind of like me, where you, you yeah, the, of, the question was more like, do you think people deserve hatred if they do something really wrong? Like, do you think yeah, they deserve my hatred? Yeah, no, They've earned I, I, that, that sentence doesn't make sense to me, I suppose. See, I think this is one area where we definitely disagree, because I do think that people can earn your hatred. And like, yeah, it, it, obviously, like letting go of, of hatred can be good for you. But I think that there are, I think this comes down to my view about moral facts, actually. Like, so I, I don't think that free will kind of bears on this question of something just being wrong, objectively. So it's like when someone like, when someone like Henry Kissinger commits, you know, numerous war crimes over decade, decade after decade, like, you know, I really hate him. I think he's earned it. You know, he's a mass murderer. And I think that if anyone's worthy of hatred, it would be him. And I don't see how, you know, oh, but he just, if he had different parents, then he wouldn't have done it. It's like, but I think that what he's done is really, really bad and he mm-hmm. meant to do it. So I, I despise him because of what he's done. And it wasn't an accident. You know, like he did it intentionally. Like I yeah. hate him because he's the kind of person who does that kind of thing. And that kind of thing is really bad. And the kind of person who chooses to do that kind of thing is also really bad. Yeah. But the question is, is, is hate justified, right? And, and so what you just said was that if anyone deserves to be hated, it's him. I certainly agree with that. If anyone deserves to be hated, it's him. The question is, does anyone deserve to be hated? And uh, I'm not sure what, I guess I'm, I'm not sure what hating him, I mean, maybe this isn't the right question to be asking, right? Maybe that's what you would say to this, but I, I, don't, I don't know what hating him gives you. Um, I don't know what it gives him. I don't know what it gives society. Uh, as long as you have, un- unless we're kind of equating hatred, you know, if, unless we're sort of like smuggling in these other like utilities into hatred, you know, that because hatred motivates us to respond in certain ways. That's interesting. I mean, maybe that's true. Maybe, maybe yeah. hatred it, it is good because it, 
you know, motivates us to act in certain ways that prevent further harm. But then it's like, well, did we, it's not the hatred that we needed. It was just, it was the, it was acting in those certain ways that we needed. So, I mean, I I agree that you can make a consequentialist argument for hating mass murderers. But what I was saying is I think he, because the question was, do people deserve hatred or is hatred justified? And what I'm saying is it is justified by the fact that he did these things that I think are objectively bad and that are objectively wrong, you know, and uh, he chose to do them on purpose. Like, that's what I'm saying justifies my hatred of him. Like, um, it's sort of like, I mean, an analogy I give sometimes is with a different sort of normative. Well, yeah, I mean, a different sort of judgment, which is like an aesthetic judgment where you look at a painting or something and you say, that's a great painting. You know, like you're sort of judging it according to these aesthetic facts. Like it doesn't matter if it's objective or subjective, but the point is you're kind of judging it based on what it is. You know, the painting didn't have any choice in being what it was. You know, the painter might have not even had a choice in it being what it was, but you can still judge it. You can still look at it and say, that's great or that's terrible. You know, and just appealing to determinism, how does that bear on the like aesthetic judgment? You know what I mean? Like you can either say that it's a good painting or a bad painting, but determinism, how does that even bear on the question? And that's kind of how I increasingly feel about these other kinds of judgments. Well, it's certainly good that there are, I mean, it's certainly true that, you know, there are, there are good paintings and bad paintings and there are good people and there are bad people and there are good choices and there are bad choices. Um, I get, so does saying that hatred is justified mean that hatred serves some kind of purpose or can hatred be justified in some sense that does not in any way entail that it serves any purpose? I mean, I think it happens to serve a purpose, you know, and I'm happy to like appeal to those um, consequences, like those good consequences. But I do think there's something else going on as well, which is just that the person uh you know could be worthy of your praise or blame or your love or hatred um just by virtue of what they are you know like by virtue of their nature and what they are and how they behave they could be worthy of your love and respect or of your hatred and you're justified in despising them just because of what they are even if they had no control ultimately they had no ultimate control over becoming who they are well you still like them or don't like them you know you still like judge them Oh yeah. no, for sure. But okay, so ah oh, man, I've been trying to avoid this, but maybe maybe we should start talking about brain tumors. All right, you've got your Charles Whitman, you've got the the guy that Michael Shermer, I think he he you know Michael Shermer said that he uh, in the in the in the Caruso Dennett debate, you know Shermer said gives an anecdote about you know how he gets these letters from inmates in prison all the time, and mm-hmm. one uh, one inmate, you know he's he. Uh, he he was convicted for you know raping and murdering like a bunch of women and and Shermer asked him wrote him back and said why why you know did you do that to these women and and the guy said I, I don't know why I just I just feel this I mean I see a woman and I just feel like oh my god all I want to do is rape and murder her right and so um, you know and then Dennett of course jumps in and says well see that guy's not you know, that's not neurotypical, right? That guy, that, that, that guy, there's something wrong with that guy's brain, but the guy, there's no like tumor. There's nothing like that. There's nothing, he's not being controlled from the outside. There's no manipulation happening. I mean, this really is him. And yet for some reason, because 
this guy has these urges that he can't even seem to repress, Dennett seemed to want to say, well, that's not, you know, he's, that's not really his fault. <laughs> um, and then, you know, but then you look at somebody like Charles Whitman, who has an, like an actual brain tumor, like pressing, you know, grapefruit sized brain tumor pressing on his amygdala or whatever it is, you know, and, and, you know, and he wrote the whole like suicide note saying, you know, please do an autopsy on autopsy on me because I don't know mm -hmm. why I just want to kill. You know, I never felt this way before. Um, so, I mean, let's say that the the dude in prison, you know, that wrote, wrote to Shermer. I mean, let's say that he just is the way that he is because of like the worst possible child abuse you know let's say it's some combination of of his genetics with like you know just who you know beaten every single day locked in closets tied up you know whatever it takes to make somebody you know this this human being whereas the other guy charles whitman none of that happy childhood whatever he just has this you know really really bad luck uh biologically um do what what do you agree that one of them is is morally responsible and deserves our hate and the other one doesn't or like how, how do you see the difference between those two guys if any or do you see any difference well okay so let's start with the first case so that guy is not in control of himself like what dennett wanted to harp on was like this guy doesn't actually approve of his first order desires he wishes he could stop but he can't um so he's not in control and ordinary functioning people are in control. I mean, that's part of, because again, we both think that like free will and responsibility are kind of bound up. Like if you did it freely, then you're responsible for it. So he says, this guy's not responsible for what he's doing. He's not in control. I mean, we still have to, um, you know, quarantine him and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's clearly not in control of himself. Well, he's not, but he only said his only claim was that he wasn't in control of his desires. Mm -hmm. He never said, you know, there I am raping someone wishing I weren't, you know, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. Right. And it's actually the exact same with Whitman. Right. I mean, Whitman doesn't approve of his desires, but he freely chose to go up to the, I mean, did he freely choose to go up to the clock tower and pick people off? I, I Well, we would agree that if Whitman didn't have that brain tumor, we would feel differently about him right but if the prisoner didn't have you know the abusive parents that he had or the genes that he had or whatever then we would approve of him as well um but hang on i'm not seeing why you're bringing up these two cases together though like i think that they're both kind of i mean i think we'd both have the same reaction to them like they okay. should be quarantined and i think that um yeah i mean they're they're not responsible for what um led to them behaving the way they did but they still did it intentionally and voluntarily it wasn't an accident that he was like shooting people you know and like we would hold him responsible even if we took out the brain tumor and he was as horrified by his actions as we were i still think that most people would feel a little cheated if he got let out of the let out of prison the next day okay well let's for i mean we you and i are almost exactly on the same page i think when it comes to the pragmatic legal social stuff uh, and which is what makes this conversation harder uh, but, but I guess I'm asking, d d does Charles Whitman deserve to be hated? Um, no, I, I don't think that he warrants our hatred in the same way that someone who, uh, didn't have a tumor. I mean, I think that's an extenuating circumstance. It's not really an ordinary circumstance. 
But if people did what Charles Whitman did under ordinary circumstances, then yeah, I mean, like they don't have the same kind of um, unusual condition. Okay, that's um, but that's why I'm asking because this inmate, you know, no, there's no, there's nothing pressing on his amygdala. There's no, you know, there's there's no outside manipulation. I mean, this is Dennett's big thing, right? Like he. The, on paper, I mean, he checks all the boxes of somebody exercising their own free will. The only thing we can say is that he didn't choose, you know, to have the desires that he had. But that's true of, I mean, I think maybe like one in a million, you know, murderers are going to say, oh, no, I love that I love murdering. People. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that's not that's never the case. Right. So we're so it, it should follow that that you that the inmate should be hated i mean I, I, and and charles whitman shouldn't right i mean it's, right yeah no i mean um, i do feel differently about the inmate than i do about whitman i mean like whitman under ordinary conditions didn't behave like that but i mean like again i every way that we would react to whitman i think is i think we're on the same page about um but when it comes to the first guy it's like no i i do hate that guy like i think that he's a piece of shit and like we should definitely quarantine him and there's nothing wrong with hating him or judging him like yeah and he's ultimately the pro and i this is where we would be on the same page about saying you know there but for the grace of god go i but i just don't see how that really should have so, much of an impact on how we view free will or something like that like again it seems like we're kind of going outside the normal boundaries of what we mean by free will and saying yeah but you didn't really control the conditions at the big bang so can we really say you did it freely yeah but but this is but this is what i'm trying to test right so because it to me it seems inconsistent i mean when you think about it when i think about it it seems inconsistent to hate charles or to not hate charles whitman but and to think you know charles whitman isn't a piece of shit he's just unlucky but to hate this prisoner i mean because what, what did the brain tumor do to charles whitman it, it changed his brain. Well, what did this guy's abusive parents do to him? It changed his brain. I can't think of a relevant difference that isn't just special pleading that explains why we should hate one and not the other. I, I mean, sometimes I add this condition to try to correct for some of these cases where I say, you know, if someone acted intentionally, voluntarily, in accordance with their will, you know, like with approval of their first order desire under ordinary circumstances. And I add that last one, but I sometimes hesitate because it feels a little bit like cheating. Um, what was know, the last one? Sorry. Under ordinary circumstances. Oh, oh. So if there is some kind of like, you know, unusual out of the ordinary circumstance, then, uh, you know, then I would just say, well, yeah, I mean, like it, it doesn't fit perfectly with my view, but I don't really think that's a problem for a couple of reasons. Like, the first reason is that we care about free will, you know, okay, so we can talk about Charles Whitman, but how is that supposed to influence the other 99.9% .9 of cases where there isn't a brain tumor? Like, I, I see what point you're trying to make, but the point is most people are not Charles Whitman. Like, most people don't have a brain tumor, and most people recognize that, like, having a bad upbringing, you know, it just, it's not the same thing as having a brain tumor. Okay, so, okay. That's perfect because that's where I disagree with you. Mm -hmm. I think that most people are no different from Charles Whitman. It's tumors all the way down, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, Charles Whitman, bad luck, circumstance, biology, history, everybody else who's a serial killer, any pedophile you find out there, 
it's the exact, I mean, we are all a product of, you know, and you're going to say, well, yeah, duh, of course, but, but these are the things that we agree on. And this is what I think makes the difference. Um, it, I, I really can't think of a difference, um, that justifies me hating Richard Ramirez and, and not hating Charles Whitman. I, I think they actually are the same. I think that, you know, d- d- abusive parenting is effectively the exact same thing as a brain tumor. I, I just don't agree. Like, I think that we're kind of, we've kind of floated off the earth into philosophy land here. Like when we're saying like, oh, it's the same thing. Like it's having a brain tumor. It's like, but come on, like we don't actually live that way. And I don't think that that's something. No, that's I, we don't live that way, our, but, but we should. That's I, think it's, I think it's not indicative of our irrationality that we don't live that way. Like you seem to be implying that like there's well, some sorry. kind of irrationality on the part of people who act like there's a difference between a brain tumor and just having a bad upbringing. But I don't think that's irrational. Well, it's, it's only irrational if you accepted my premise and still disagreed with me. That would be irrational. It's, it's self-consistent if, if somebody rejects my premise. What premise was that? Just that, that the brain tumor is no different than, oh. or, or just that, that we, you know, we are uh, uh, inescapably a product of our biology and experiences. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I just think that, <laughs> see, I'm, I'm trying not to be like, frustrating or slippery here but it's like um i think i think i'm the one frustrating you so i'm i'm sorry oh no i'm not frustrated at all i just okay. i i think that this because this it, it taps into like a deeper issue about philosophy and i don't know how to broach it exactly but like i think that the ver- the compatibilist version of free will that i'm sketching out works for like 99.9 repeating um, you know, percent of cases. Like, I think it works really well for our everyday life. Like, practically speaking, if someone meets all these conditions, then we should say they acted freely. And we already do. It's not like I have to tell people we should start doing this. Like, no, everyone already does what I'm saying. They like, if these conditions are met, then that's a morally relevant difference. If they're not met, like people think that if you do, you know, like if those conditions that I keep naming, um, you know, that's kind of what most people mean by free will. If you did it and you wanted to do it and so on. Like, I think that's what most people get at until you start really, uh, or getting at before you start drilling down on it. And I think that that compatibilist conception works for almost every case. And you kind of have to devise these weird thought experiments or appeal to these extraordinary cases to make it seem like, yeah, this actually, you know, your, your version of free will actually doesn't account for this case, because it seems like, you know, um, in the case of Whitman or in the case of any number of bizarre thought experiments that have been invented over time, it's like, okay, it might work for pretty much all of everyday life, pretty much all the time, but it doesn't work in this one case that I just invented in a possible world that doesn't exist and will never exist. It's like, well, who cares? Like, again, this is a practical issue. Like, I, I don't think that because of Charles, but because of like, you know, uh, you know, cases like Charles Whitman, we have to throw out the entire concept of free will because it's hard to come up with like an in-principle way of distinguishing these things. It's like, look, this works almost all the time. So when I said this works for almost every case, this works for our everyday lives, this is a good way of viewing freedom almost all the time, just not in like some of these bizarre thought experiments or in some of these very unusual cases. And what I was alluding to when I said this kind of connects to something deeper in philosophy, it's like, um, Dennett has mentioned this as well. I think he mentioned it right at the beginning of the Caruso debate, actually. 
where he said that philosophy kind of got off on the wrong foot with Plato kind of trying to turn all of philosophy into geometry so that there are these bright lines everywhere and these like sharp edges and we can have a perfect conceptual analysis of all these different ideas like we can have perfect necessary and sufficient conditions for something like free will such that there are no counterexamples no borderline cases like no thought experiments that you could imagine up where things would maybe not seem right like and he was like we should instead adopt you know population thinking and sort of acknowledge that the world is very messy and that there are no bright lines anywhere other than geometry and that like you know conceptual analysis by the way that whole project i just named of identifying necessary and sufficient conditions of all these different concepts has gone horribly like we don't have a successful con- conceptual analysis of almost anything like it it like it's been going on for thousands of years and it's utterly failed so maybe this approach is just wrong like maybe if you have a conception of free will that works for all of everyday life and works in 99.9% of cases, except for some weird thought experiments, then you have a successful conception of free will. And just because you can imagine like a counterexample or a borderline case or something, it just doesn't really matter. Like you, if you have something that works for all of everyday life, then that's enough. So, um, I mean, it, it just may be, it may be frustrating. It may be unfortunate for us, you know, especially for two people to think the way that you and I do, but it may just end up being the case that the pragmatic, the practical differences between my view and yours is in fact negligible. Uh, and so there's not much to talk about there. I mean, which is why, which is why these thought experiments are, are coming into play, right? Because we're trying to find a way where the, the, uh, some scenario where there could, we're trying to diagnose the problem, right? It is this a pragmatic difference or is it just a theoretical difference? Right? So, that's what the thought, the thought experiments are designed to not to solve the problem, but to figure out whether there is one. Right. Um, so, so, I mean, you say that, that, you know, these, it it really, we get everything we need. And, and if on, on your view, and I believe this is true on your view, but, but then you get somebody like Dennett, who is the number one, I mean, the leading defender of compatibilism in the world, and he says that if compatibilism, if we don't have free will, then we should tear up all the contracts and let out all the prisoners. Now, he now that is, I mean, this that is that's the leading compatibilist saying that, right? And you and I both agree he's full of shit there. That's I mean, I, I think maybe you haven't encountered some of these people who he has in mind when he says that. Like, I mean, Greg Caruso says straightforwardly, people are not responsible for what they do. Yeah, but Greg Crusoe would never say we should tear up all the contracts and free all the prisoners. I mean, he gives the exact same reasons that you are giving for why we should keep the prisoners in jail. So, uh, um, so no, because I, I buy into. Well, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, 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 go. I, I'm just saying that I, that I do see a danger to compatibilist thinking, and that's a that's a, a, a very prime example to me. Okay, so, so sorry, what is that danger specifically? That mentality, that sort of like black and white mentality that that um, the only justification for keeping somebody that, that that there is no other justification for keeping. I mean, now, I think most people recognize that that what Dennett said there is not true. And maybe if you hold his feet to the fire, even he would say, OK, I was being hyperbolic. I got ahead of myself. But I know a lot of compatibilists who's who think that 
free will is the only way, you know, uh, uh, hating someone is the, is, or, or, you know, assigning somebody like moral responsibility in the sense that we're talking about is the only way to justify protecting ourselves from them. Um, and I think, so maybe, maybe we should pose this question. Let's say the, the, the society was structured differently, right? Let's say, um, because I, one of the things that's keeping me an incompatibilist is, uh, uh, is this disagreement about hating someone and this disagreement about what they deserve. Right. And even the pill thought experiment. Right. Um, so maybe, maybe we should ask like, if free will were not a part of our, our lexicon at all, I mean, if, could, do you think that we couldn't have the same exact structure of society, albeit with different language, but that we couldn't have the exact same outcome, uh, if we were all hard determinists? I mean, I think you could, but it would be fucking creepy. I think it would be a weird, I think it would be like, <laughs> it would be a weird like clockwork orange world where everyone is like just rehabilitated. Like, and we just kind of change our language around things in in a way that kind of medicalizes things. Like, oh, no, 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 we're not punishing people. We're rehabilitating them. And like, we're not putting them in prison. They're being sent to like therapy and like, you, sounds so you, pretty good to me. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's um, in practice. I mean, at first pass, yeah. But I think in practice, it ends up looking almost exactly the same, except it's kind of this weird medicalized version of it. Um, and it ends up being kind of dystopian because it's not as straightforward. It's not like, look, you did something wrong, so you deserve to be punished for it. It's like, oh, no, no, no. We don't hate you. We're not mad at you. We just think that you are basically a malfunctioning robot. Well, and we need to quarantine you and we need to rewire you a little bit. And then ju it's just like, it turns into this weird, like, um, okay, wait, let me, let me just clarify something really quick. The, 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 the scenario I'm talking about is not where everyone is the Dalai Lama and nobody hates anyone or nobody is angry at anyone. Right. It's just that those aren't the motivating reasons for the justice system that we have. Right. We, we just have other better reasons in this scenario. So for, for, however that caveat may affect your, your response. Well, yeah, I mean, the motivations are different. The motivations are like, we need to rehabilitate you and just kind of rewire your brain, but you're not responsible for what you did. You're basically just, you know, a malfunctioning, um, you know, uh, device. And I think that's a weird way to look at people. <laughs> I think you should look at them as like moral agents that are responsible for their choices as opposed to like malfunctioning. Everyone has the equivalent of a tumor when they act in an antisocial way. Well, but they are responsible for their choices. They're responsible in the sense that they are the ones who did it and nobody else did. Right. It's, it's the difference that the Bruce Waller thing, the difference between character responsibility and blame responsibility. We don't need blame responsibility. All we need to get everything that we want is character responsibility. You're the one who did it. You're dangerous. You need to be kept away from society. You need, you, I mean, uh, you're the bad guy. You know, we're good guys and you're the bad guy. You are an immoral person. You're a bad person and we need to protect ourselves from you. And we also need to incentivize other people. For, I mean, we can keep all of that language intact, it seems to me. It's not, it's not this like hippy dippy Dalai Lama, we're all just like, you know, blissed out, man. And like, nobody hates it. That's not, that's not the scenario I'm, I'm talking about. I think it's a, I think it is a little more hippie-ish than, than you're making it sound there. Cause when you actually talk to free will skeptics, um, and, uh, listen to their proposals and stuff, it does start to sound 
a very like hippie-ish and uh b it does it it's, it seems pretty unavoidable that you end up with this medicalized justice system where everything is viewed as kind of a disorder um like everyone who behaves antisocially has some kind of psychological disorder and again i just think that's a weird way of looking at human beings i don't like it like something about it seems almost dystopian to me i don't want people to think that way i'd rather them see people as autonomous agents who are making choices and we hold them responsible for what they choose to do but that's still true they are autonomous agents and they are making choices and volition matters and and motivation matters and reason matters i mean all these things tell us whether somebody's likely to do it again or i mean we can st- i i i'm still not seeing what we're actually losing uh, on this account and and i know it's, it seems creepy to you because everything is medicalized but i'm not even sure I think you're I think you're um like smuggling in more than just the fact that it's medicalized. I think you're imagining something that I'm actually not proposing, imagining more I, than what I'm proposing. I, that might be the case, but I'm I'm thinking of, you know, I keep bringing I keep bringing up Greg Caruso, but like, you know, I, I do kind of have in the back of my mind these proposals and, you know, more fleshed out ideas that have been offered by free will skeptics which see, just kind of are repellent to me. And like, yeah, I, maybe I, I would agree with you though uh, on that. I don't know. Like, well, what's an example? I, I mean, I've been trying to sketch out, like, I think what you're, you're rightly saying like, Hey, I don't think that like, I'm not, I'm not wanting this kind of world. It's like, well, the free will skeptics that I've listened to do seem to want this kind of world. Someone, I mean, honestly, atheist, when I was describing this uh, dystopia, he said based. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like I am going off of what, like, uh, you know, I'm not just making this up. This is this is not something I came up with in my elaborate mind castle of how I'm imagining. <laughs> my, like I, I ended up becoming a compatibilist because of this kind of thing. Like I was listening to free will skeptics, you know, other than Sam Harris, like listening to other free will skeptics and being like, I don't like that. I don't agree with this. And I'm way more siding with people like Dennett. Like it, it came out of listening to free will skeptics and compatibilists kind of hash out their differences. And I was just like, I don't like where this free will skepticism thing is going. Like I, it does seem to be leading to this weird, like parallel society where things are kind of the same, but we're all choosing to use different words for no apparent reason. And like, it does have this kind of weird medicalized overtone to it. And I just, I don't want to live in that world. Um, I have other reasons, by the way. I, I've been kind of holding off on this, but I wanted to, wanted to oh, give yeah. you a to respond. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Because um, uh, you keep saying, like, what is something that you might lose if you lose free will? Um, well, I mean, I think that it shouldn't be cost-free to do violence to the manifest image. So the way that the world just appears to people commonsensically I think that, you know, that's a decent starting point. And it's obviously it's okay to move away from that. But I think that you incur a burden when you want to say that things are not as they appear. Like things seem a certain way to pretty much everyone, but everyone's wrong. And, you know, you want everyone to move away from that conception. And what I'm saying is that it shouldn't be cost-free to do severe damage to the manifest image. So you can do that if you want, but I'm saying you need to be coming at things with more than... Um, what I typically hear from free will skeptics. So it's, it's yeah. kind of, I'm kind of advocating for common sense epistemology where like we should try to 
maintain the world the way the world seems to most people most of the time. But I, but I actually, I mean, I, I, I have this suspicion that the way the world seems to most people most of the time is something closer to, to libertarian free will. And you and I have both already bucked that. And we're well, fine. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if people buy into libertarian freedom as much as they just buy into the idea that they can do what they want and they're responsible for what they do. And, you know, there is a difference between doing something of your own volition versus being forced to do it and, and like a number of other conditions. But I think it takes a while to get to something like libertarian free will, but that actually does bring me to, so let's say that's true. I mean, cause I think a lot of people feel that way. I actually, I I'm questioning whether or not that's the case, but um, let's say that like, I am kind of revising the notion of freedom away from what most people mean by it. Um, I think it's relatively minor. So an analogy I would use for this is like, think about like Descartes God who can do things that are logically impossible. Like he can actualize like logical contradictions. Like he's very omnipotent. <laughs> he's like super omnipotent. Really, really, really omnipotent. <laughs> and then there's like a more reasonable version of omnipotence where it's like, okay, he can do anything logically possible, but he can't actualize logical contradictions. Like that would be absurd. That doesn't make any sense. So, that would be, you know, I think closer to like William Lane Craig Scott or, you know, just someone else who's more contemporary. So I don't think it would be justified for Descartes to turn around and be like, you know, you're an atheist. You don't even believe in God because you believe in this like diminished kind of revised version of God that's not as extravagant as my version of God. And it's like, well, it's true that I have a less extravagant version of God than you, but I'm still a theist. You know, I still believe in God, something that's clearly God, recognizably God in the everyday notion of God. And yet I don't believe in this like inflated superlative sense of God. Yeah. And I think it's the same thing with like freedom and responsibility. You know, I just have like a more reasonable conception of freedom and responsibility than libertarians, but I don't think it's like divorced from what most people mean by it. Yeah. But, but I think that's a good, that's kind of, that makes for a good argument for the idea that this is not just a semantic difference. I mean, we actually think that there are, uh, yeah, I don't like this word, but like metaphysical differences here. Um, and, and the, uh, you know, if, if it's not that I hate the the term free will, but I keep, I keep, I keep being told, you know, it's not that I keep it, but you know, th- this idea that I'm, why don't you just, you're already there, you know, you're already here. Like it, it, nothing changes. There's no pragmatic difference. And then just come on over to our side. Just w- what's so bad about this word free will that you're trying to avoid. I mean, it does everything we want it to do and all the things you're scared of happening are not going to happen. And, you know, and then I'm, I'm tempted by that. I'm tempted to just go, oh, fuck it. Yeah. Let's just use free will. Cause it's easier and it's, it's historically on the books already. And, but then I hear some of the things that compatibilists say and believe that their compatibilism justifies. I haven't heard, I mean, maybe a couple of things with you that you and I would disagree on, but I hear things that I go, oh my God, I want no fucking part of that. Um, And it's some of the shit that Dennett says, Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to live in his world. I, I, um, yeah. I I mean, Dennett's not like a harsh retributive it's like he's uh he says that our current criminal justice system in his words are is he says it's evil you know like he's yeah. is a very harsh critic of our current criminal justice it's not like he's going around like i love the death penalty i love uh, no, no 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 but but saying our criminal justice system is evil is a really low bar yeah. <laughs> not very hard to say um 
No, I, I mean, uh, there's something else though that I think you might lose with um, mm. with free will. So if you try to get rid of free will, so um, well, first of all, you, you like you kind of hit on something that I agree with there, where it's like, look, we already have a word for these conditions when they're being met, or we already have a term for that. You know, it's like, why not just use the term that already exists instead of reinventing our all of our language? Like, what what's the yeah. point of that? Like, I, so like an analogy that I heard once in the comment section, I think, um, I don't know who posted this, but I, I'm borrowing this. Someone said that, you know, it's like compatibilists are looking at a painting and they're like, that's green. And then determinists and incompatibilists, like they zoom in to the painting and they're like, oh, it's not green. There are little light waves. Yeah. <laughs> well, there are these little blue dots and these little yellow dots that are really close together. Oh, right, and it's like, right. there's no green there. And compatibilists are like, we already have a term for when there are little blue dots and little yellow dots really close together. The term for that is green. So it's like, we already have a term for all these things that we seem to agree on. It's like, why not just use the language? It, it almost seems like free will skeptics, and not all of them, because some of them really do think that some pretty crazy things, but one that's like like you it seems like you're saying look I, I i'm not a theist i just believe in an omnipotent omniscient disembodied creator of the universe okay right. i'm not a theist <laughs> yeah well don't no, but that but see what you're saying now is is the temptation for me right i mean i hear something like that and i go well yeah maybe you know maybe this is just a semantic you know hang up that i have like it's you know everything but but then i but then I start using the word green and then it turns out that, you know, green paintings are no longer allowed. You know, there's the, the, then it turns out that there's these pragmatic things that are added on after the fact about it, about calling something green that, you know, call, if you're going to call it green, then that's going to entail uh, that that we have to treat, you know, anything with the color green this way differently from the way that, you know, I, that's a it's a bad it's not a perfect analogy, but. Um, I, I agree that if free will didn't um, what wasn't used as a motivation for retribution, um, hatred, then if if I didn't think that, if I didn't constantly like if if I wasn't constantly blindsided by that, once I'm tempted by this, you know, the idea that this is just a language game. Uh, I would have called myself a compatibilist a long time ago, but but it always feels like a bait and switch for me because I'm not. So may, maybe what you and I should just be drilling down on right now is, you know, how is are those those actual concrete differences like you know retribution and and hatred? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I just think that some of those are kind of orthogonal to the free will issue. Like where I mean, people might appeal to free will where they're like. You know, so there are plenty of Christians who say, well, eternal conscious torment, it's fine because it results from your libertarian free choices, which is nonsense. It, it still doesn't make any sense. Even right. if you buy into libertarian free will, that's not a justification for eternal torture. Like yeah. you can argue against eternal conscious torment, which is literally the worst idea that's ever been invented by humans, like without exaggeration. Yeah, no, um, yeah. You know, you don't even need to appeal to any debate about free will to make the case that this is one of the most immoral ideas that's ever been devised. But, I I mean, but, like, you, but the, the thing is, just because they appeal to free will to justify eternal conscious torment, I don't think that means we should throw out free will. Because A, 
some people are still going to believe in eternal conscious torment, even once you throw out libertarian free will, like Calvinists. Um, right. And it's just, I don't think that libertarian free will is actually doing that much work there. Well, that, but that was my point. I actually, I, I think that's true. I think it, the libertarian, when it comes to ECT, I don't think the libertarian free will is doing all the way. And Calvinism is, is a perfect proof of that. Um, that it wasn't the free will part that gave us eternal conscious torment. I think it's and, the, and the, neither is it free will. Idea. Neither is it free will that gives us all this like excessive retribution. Like I think that you know we can get rid of the excessive retribution without getting rid of free will. And I don't see free, getting rid of free will as a very direct way of getting rid of that excessive retribution anyway. Like you, you get rid of free will. How I, I, I don't really see you, how that follows. When you say excessive retribution, you mean kind of like what I was saying earlier, where it's just like yeah. pure retribution, where there's no consequentialist. Well, because you were saying you you were just saying that you're you're looking at some of the things that people justify using free will, and you're like, well, I don't want any part of that. So, isn't that what you're saying? So we should we should be wary of adopting the term free will because people use it to justify, you know, retribution and. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I think I think that there. I think if nobody believed in free will from the start, um, society actually would look different. I mean, even a compatibilist free will, I think that that, that society would look different. Um, and I, I know I, you you want to call it medicalized. I just want to call it humane. Um, you know, the, the, this idea that that prison. The whole point of prison is to disincentivize, to quarantine, to rehabilitate, but punish i don't i that uh, that gets you that starts leading toward a, a kind of mentality toward other people that i mean we, we have feuds you know like the, the, you know family feuds that that are all predicated on this idea of of retribution you know and and just you kill me i'll kill your sister because then i'll then she'll kill my brother and that you know i mean that Society, I think society would look differently if if we didn't have any use for uh, moral responsibility in in this kind of sense. I mean, there has been this. I mean, don't you agree that like you know feuds don't don't really happen like they used to, or at least how I think they used to. Like we transitioned away from like a an honor culture sort of feud. I mean, is that sort of what you're getting at? Like, well, I, I think that, I think that, you know, the kind of feuds that, that I'm talking about was, you know, we're talking wild, wild west when there were, we weren't so structured <laughs> as a right. society. Um, I think that feuds probably can and do still happen to whatever extent they can happen before people get caught. And, but they used to happen more. Is that kind of what you're getting at? No, it's to me. It's not even about that. They used to happen more, and they happen less now because we've evolved more. No, I'm just using that well, mentality. I think the reason they happen less now is not because we've become more enlightened. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like free will. To the, I mean, I, I don't think it's implausible to claim that there might have been more feuds in the past. I don't actually know, but no, no, I, I'm they, sure you're right. I, I just did, I don't. I don't think that the reason for that is because you know, we went from libertarian free will to a kind of compatibilist free will. And that's, that's what I'm saying. We, we went away from this kind of thing that you and I both agree is probably silly. I'm and saying it had nothing to do with free will. Uh, wait, but how is that not agreeing with me? No, I'm saying that we can, we can move away from barbaric practices without abandoning free will. That's my whole point. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, sure. I, but I, but I, I, I don't think we, we haven't really moved away from it. I mean, people still, I mean, I, listen, I, okay. 
my my I have a family member um, who uh, has uh, spent a lot of the time. Uh, uh, how do I? I'm, I'm trying to protect this person, but um, I ha- I have family that have spent time in jail, in prison, right? Um, at, on the streets, Do, you know, there, there's a, there's a very, you and I are, you know, we have this like sort of privileged cushy lifestyle where, um, th- well, hell, I don't know what your lifestyle is, but mine sure as hell is, is privileged and cushy, but there is this whole other world where there's street justice. I mean, and that's a very real thing. And you, you know, you hurt me, I will kill your family. And that is, that is the right thing to do. Why? Because you deserve it. I mean, you, and she'll, this person in my family will talk like this and, and really, really mean it. I mean, this is uh, the, for me to try to say, listen, you know, there's no, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just a completely different mindset that is born of this idea that that guy over there who did, did whatever to me deserves pain. Be, just because of the fact that they did it to me. And I don't, I don't even care about the consequence. Like I, there's no pragmatic consideration about the world will be a better place. If it, no, it's just, even if it makes the world worse, that person needs to be hurt because they hurt me. And that, I, that's I mean, are I mean. you, are you sure about that though? Are you sure there's not some set of principles that he's following, like some rules that are being followed that have emerged. I, I mean, I yeah, think that no, it is, it is that, yeah, but those yeah. rules are, com- I, I think those rules are bad and they're not true. But this is the, this is constantly where I'm, you know, butting up against free will skeptics. It's like, okay, so I'm not, I don't think free will has much to do with that regrettable, you know, con- uh, environment that you're talking about. So it's like, if we remove free will from the equation, do things dramatically change or not? And I think that you've said yes. But I, I mean, the idea that the, it's just all going to change for the better as soon as we get rid of free will, like, I, I just kind of, I, I hear well, no, conflicting I mean, I, things I sometimes where it's like, I wouldn't well, claim that. I, I wouldn't claim that if you got rid of free will now, you know, all of a sudden, magically, everybody, I mean, you'd have to, people still have the intuitions that they have, and we still live in the way, you yeah. know, and a lot of people you can, I mean, Sam Harris has this this podcast with Ricky Gervais that they just like bullshit with each other, you know, like 10 episodes in a row. And Ricky Gervais, I mean, this is a guy who's an atheist. He considers himself a hard determinist, you know, intellectually, but he still says, I just can't, I can't get past this idea that this person over here deserves to be hurt. You know, I, I just can't get past this idea. So yeah, obviously you're, you're the, if you tried to right now, like maybe they do. I don't know. I don't know what they did. Perhaps they do. I mean, like (laughs) nobody ever deserved to be hurt. Not for the sake of just being hurt. What does that mean? Just for the sake of being like, no one is just like, I love inflicting pain. (laughs) They like go around punching. Like if they do, they deserve to be punished. But I'm saying like, typically when we're inflicting punishment, it's not like, for the sake of punishment it's because they did something wrong and we're holding them responsible i mean if i I don't know who who's inflicting punishment for the sake of punishment in the way that you're saying oh my god i mean well if if i ask like my family my people who are not super like you know heady about this stuff just like like my family i mean even my father my you know if i give them the the magic pill 
scenario, you know, where, you know, somebody, somebody murdered your kid and you can give them this pill. And even if I control for all the relevant, you know, like it's not like society knows that, that, you know, that the objection that you made, um, but just this one time you that they could give this person this pill and they would immediately, you know, even my dad goes, no, he deserves to die and not only die, but be tortured, you know? And it's like, where does my dad get that idea from the idea of moral responsibility? I mean, there's no other place he got it from. I mean, I think that's probably right. But I mean, don't you think it would be like an overreaction to get rid of all moral responsibility because some people use it to justify things that are obviously bad? That you, I mean, I don't think you need to give up moral responsibility to argue against torture or the death penalty. But like, just the basic idea that people are responsible for what they do and therefore deserve to be held responsible for what they do. Like, right, but that's, but that's the kind of response. I mean, but that's why I keep trying to make this distinction between d- different ideas for moral responsibility, right? There's character responsibility. You're the one that did it. You're the bad person that we need to deal with. But then there's this other kind of responsibility that says you, you deserve to be hurt because you hurt other people. Like there, there, sh- you should experience suffering and pain because of what you did, you know? And I, but that, that seems like a particular consequence. And I'm saying that like deserving, you deserve punishment. That doesn't mean you deserve to be punched in the face or deserve to die, but you do deserve punishment. Like that's all I'm arguing for. I'm not arguing that we should inflict suffering on, I think that, you know, when you're talking about what you mean by punishment though, I mean, you you deserve correction, you deserve rehabilitation, you deserve incarceration, but what does punishment mean beyond like things like that? Well, I think the nature of the punishment is sort of a separate question. Like, just because I'm arguing for moral responsibility, I don't think it would be valid to turn around and be like, you know, if we were having this conversation 2000 years ago, you're like, people are being crucified right now because of moral responsibility. And it's like, I don't think that's why, like, I think it plays a role in why people are being crucified, but I think we could get rid of the crucifixion and keep the moral responsibility. And we did. And I'm saying like, we can make the same kind of progress. Like, like the death penalty has been abolished in a number of places. And I don't think those people stopped believing in free will. Like, I think that, like, the things that you're disturbed by that I'm also disturbed by can be changed without really saying, we need to get rid of this moral responsibility and this idea of desert and this idea of free will. Can I confess something? Hmm. Um, I, on the issue of, like, the death penalty, um, I'm not sure... uh, you know, well, first of all, I think I think the biggest, I mean, the best and biggest argument against the death penalty is just the fact that it's an imperfect legal system and you end up mm-hmm. killing people that don't deserve it, right? That's not that. Well, nobody deserves anything, so I don't know what you even mean by that. But go ahead. Well, no, but but, but deserve it in the character sense, even that I'm talking about, right? Like we think, you know, no, th- this person didn't actually do it. Like it wasn't that person that is the dangerous person, right? And so. I, when I say deserve it, I mean, it's a consequentialist style, deserve it. Um, uh, and so, that, so that, I mean, that's, there's a, there's a very pragmatic, it's not a, I don't think we moved away from the death penalty because of philosophical considerations. I think, I think it was just a, a, a good hard look at our very pragmatic and very flawed legal system. Um, but I, but I want to say something else. I'm not even sure that my, uh, hard determinism or incompatibilism is 
uh, enough to justify abolishing the death penalty. I, 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 I moved away from the death penalty after, not, you know, not simultaneously with uh, calling myself a determinist uh, or a hard determinist, um, because I think that so the argument I would make is that if you could just just stop somebody from continuing to exist because they're dangerous and if you could do it peacefully and if you could do it you know in a way that doesn't cause any additional suffering you know introduce more suffering into the world then why not otherwise you're just going to have that person rotting away in a cell for the rest of their life and to me that seems like torture so why not just let them stop existing they're already suffering i mean it's it, it doesn't it's no fun to be jeffrey dahmer right so um, and that was my, you know, and then my, and then one day my, my mom, who happens to be a psychologist, you know, argued with me about it and said, you're, you're not, you're not looking at the big pragmatic picture here, which is that being on death row is itself torture. You're just, you're just forgetting that, you know, or, or no, that, no, sorry. Yeah. Being on death row, knowing that you're going to be killed is actually torture, you know? So, so that's, that's why it's, it's not because of my it's not because I re reject free will or anything like that, 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 um, uh, changed my mind about the death penalty for there. I've Holy father, the hail Mary. <laughs> I mean, it, that's kind of my point though, is that like a lot of these issues that I think you're appealing to and that a lot of free will skeptics certainly do appeal to, it just seems kind of like orthogonal to the question. Like, okay. You know, there are these undesirable aspects of our criminal justice system, I don't think getting rid of free will or moral responsibility is really going to help. Like it, it seems like the most indirect way possible to try to affect criminal justice reform. Yeah. Um, I'm just conceding that I don't think, I mean, the, the death penalty gets used as the big argument for that. And I'm actually conceding that point that I, I don't know if death penalty is the death penalty is not what I have in mind when I'm objecting to moral responsibility. Actually. Okay. Well, I, I'm saying that because going back to where we started, I think that free will is this naturally grounded social construction that performs certain functions for us. And most of those functions are good. And when people try to point to the bad functions, I think it's like, it's not really a product of free will. It's sort of a product of other forces and we can affect, we can change the things that some people are bad, the things that are bad that some people try to pin on free will without having to get rid of free will. Like, I don't think it's like, I don't really buy it when Greg Caruso says, you know, free will is this major obstacle to having a better criminal justice system. Like, I just don't think that's true. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with him that it's a major, like the biggest obstacle. I mean, there, there are certainly other obstacles to criminal justice reform that are bigger than the, the concept of free will. Uh, I, I don't know how, if that reflects his actual thinking or not, but um, but again, you know, uh, here we are, you and me, both totally rational people. Well, I, you may be totally rational. I, I'm no. <laughs> but, um, but and 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 you and we have this really kind of substantive disagreement about hatred, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's something, uh, you know. And I don't, I, I don't know if I can get on board with that. You know, I, you know, the thing is though, I was on board with hating people even when I totally denied free will. Like it just purely... you, yeah, but would you have said that in your most in your most enlightened moods you were you would have been on board with hating people or was it just an emotion? Because I I fucking hate people all the time. I hate all kinds of things and people. Right. You know. No, there's a there's a distinction there between the kind of like 
unenlightened, unreflective hatred. But no, I it was based on a deep consideration of the suffering that those people caused in the world that they that only exists because they exist. You know, they were brought into the world and then they just inflicted mass death and suffering on everyone else. And I hate them for it. Like it's it's just a reflection on what they are and like the way that they've behaved and conducted themselves in the world. Even when I thought they don't have free will, it's just the way they are, you know, that's just uh, their nature. Okay. So maybe there's something else that's working on me in the background here that I haven't talked about yet. Um, and that is, uh, I do have a kind of sense of, I don't know if it's justice or fairness or, or symmetry or whatever you want to call it, but um, I, I, I kind of, I'm operating on this sort of hidden premise that I think is true, uh, that nobody leads a charmed, wonderful, loving life, uh, unless we're talking about these sort of side circumstances where it's like their, their behavior is non-volitional or whatever. Um, no, nobody has like this happy, loving childhood, just, just this enchanted existence and then decides to go ahead and rape and murder a bunch of people. I, 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 I'm, I'm sort of assuming here that if you're a serial killer or a rapist, you, you have been abused. You, you have suffered. You, you know, so you've already, it's almost like you've put in your time, right? You've, you've been tortured, you, whether it's e even, even it could not, it could be even not external torture, but internal torture, mental torture. I can't imagine I would so hate to be, I mean, for obvious reasons, but maybe not so obvious reasons as well. I would hate to be a pedophile. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I mean, to be a pedophile is like, is finite conscious torment. I mean, it, it, to be Jeffrey Dahmer must be a kind of suffering that I can't even imagine, you know? And, and of course his choices are a reaction to that suffering. So when I think about yeah, no, I, I know the solution here is that Jeffrey Dahmer should suffer more. I just kind of, I, I just go, well, that doesn't, that's, I don't, I can't get on board with that. I mean, we, we don't, we don't, my whole thing is reduce, <laughs> reduce the amount of suffering in the world. And I think um, retribution and hatred, they, they end up directly or indirectly introducing just more suffering into the world unnecessarily. I mean, you might be right about that in some cases. I, I disagree, I think, but I, could be wrong. I mean, it's not, maybe it's not across the board. I'm sure there are exceptions to what I'm saying, but yeah, the, the exceptions are small enough that like you said, you know, they're, they're negligible. I would imagine. I, I almost, I don't think we're talking about free will anymore. <laughs> like, I think that what you're saying is interesting and like, worth contemplating. I, I want to pursue it on one level, but just with the anchor of free will, I'm like, does this bear on the question of free will? Like, I'm, I'm not sure that well, it does. I mean, the short answer that I would give is that it bears on free will because it bears on moral responsibility and free will is the justification for moral responsibility. So you get retribution from moral responsibility, you get moral responsibility from free will, and that, that's the connection I'm making. I mean, I'm, I know that there's no worse fate than to, uh, you know, be a pedophile. <laughs> like I can't, I mean, I would, it's, you know, the, it's an extremely ostracized group. And, you know, if you're a decent person, other than that, that if you're a decent person, then you'll be horrified 
by your own desires right. and you'll right. try to resist it and try to quarantine yourself or like take measures to protect children because you have uncontrollable urges to harm children which is like one of the worst things you can do right, right. so uh yeah i mean I, on on one sense and look i have this healthy sense of like there but for the grace of god go i but there, it doesn't change the fact that they want to harm children and that right. if they did harm children then they they're the type of person who harms children and it's right, like right, I, but, but the takeaway there is you know the takeaway from it doesn't change the fact that they ha- they want to harm children is not therefore we should hate them it's therefore we should protect ourselves from them right I mean, and, and i know you, you, would don't, say you both, don't you hate right? that they harm children I think that's kind of an equivocation. I, I don't I, no, hating I, that they harm children. Well, of course I hate that. Of course, yeah. You know, you, you I, hate I, the action for sure. Of course you yeah, hate the I, action, but I don't think you can really separate the action from the person. The person only does what they do because of the way they are. Yeah, but I think, but the whole point of free will and moral responsibility is that you're you're saying that the action is a product of the person. Yeah. Right. You can't separate. So, so I don't yeah. want to separate. I'm saying it's the same. Like you can't separate the person from the action. So if you hate the action, you hate the person. I, I, so I, I think this is some, like, this is some Protestant uh, bullshit of separating the action from the person where it's like, Oh, I, me, those are just my actions. You know, that's not me. Like, um, okay, well then, okay. Then, then I, then I, then, then I reject that. I hate the, if, if, Hating the action, if what you mean by hate is such that hating that that some state of affairs obtains, like, and I don't know what I would mean by hating that such state of affairs obtains other than just wishing it weren't, like, really, really, really adamantly wishing it weren't the case. Other than that, I don't know what it means to hate a state of affairs where where that also has to mean hating uh, the, the, the person. I... I don't know. I th- that it just seemed, I don't know. I'm 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 dubious about the the how that word is being used there. Well, I mean, I'm, I, I'm so maybe I would say I don't now. hate the action. Then if I that's think what you we, do hate the action. <laughs> well, I think I do too, but not if not if you're saying, well, no, you can't hate a state of affairs without hating. No, I'm, I'm saying person. if you hate the action, you since you can't separate the person from the actions they perform because they're only doing what they're doing because of the way they are. You can't really draw this hard line between who they are and their nature and what they do because those two things are intimately connected. They're, they're one directly follows from the other. So I just feel like if you were, this is part of why I felt justified hating people, even when I didn't believe in free will, because I was thinking, well, I hate their actions. I hate what they do and they only do what they do because of the way they are. So, so I hear, what was your answer to the question? Like, should, should we hate tornadoes? Um, look, I think that you can hate tornadoes in one sense, in the sense that we agree on, but I think that, um, there's a relevant difference between a tornado and a, and a, and a person. So like a person can do things intentionally, voluntarily with approval of their first order will, whereas a tornado cannot meet any of those conditions, which is why I feel differently about people versus tornadoes. Even though, yeah, in some sense, I hate a tornado if it's tearing through my town. I'm like, fuck this tornado. But it's different with a person because they can meet those conditions that I'm laying out. I don't know. I kind—I of, mean, at the end of the day, I kind of think that that difference may, in fact, be illusory. 
I mean, it's really, it's all just atoms bouncing around, right? I mean, it's, it's, I'm not totally sure how, or a bear, for example, you know, a bear charging at you. Like, do I, do I hate the bear that's trying to, do I, you know, I, I, I got cats. You got a cat too. Like I've, I've had three of my cats eaten by coyotes. I didn't hate wow. the coyote. Uh, you know, I, in fact, I would have fucking killed that coyote if I saw oh, it. Oh, see, okay. So th- this is, this is a huge difference, right? I don't, I, you know, I was so sad that my cats got eaten, you know, by, by these coyotes. I saw the coyote the next day, right? I, there was no part of me that wanted to blame, that was like, that hated that coyote. The coyote. Oh, I would, I would avenge my cats. I would go out and get in a fight with the coyote. But like, but why though? Like, why it would killed you? My, it killed my friend. Right. But what, what does that solve? You're just, <laughs> it so killed, it's, it's, it this, is, my this, friend. Is, this is the pragmatic difference, right? You, yeah. you can mourn your friend, but now, but your, your solution to that, it sounds like is to just introduce more suffering into the world. And I, I don't, oh, yeah. I don't know why that follows. I don't know why that moral, I don't know why that's morally justifiable. Well, I don't know if I'm trying to morally justify it at this point. Like I, I'm not really giving okay, like, well, then, okay. no, like this is, this is the, this is one difference where, you know, I think we actually do diverge here because I'm not trying to make some kind of consequentialist justification for killing the coyote who eats my cat. Like I just no, ate that coyote because it ate my friend and I'm going to go shoot it. I'm going to go run and get my shotgun and try yeah, to but, kill the coyote. But why? Because it ate my fucking friend. I'm, no, I want, I'm trying to avenge my friend. But, but why? No, I'm, I know, but I'm asking yeah. the next question, which, which is why does the fact that it ate your friend mean that it should be, it should suffer? I, I, I don't think I understand the question because it seems like it answers itself. Like just because someone killed and ate your friend, why do you want to hurt them? It's like, because of what you just said, <laughs> just I, because of what they did. I want to. Yeah. But it, how, it, so do you think that the coyote has more moral agency than Charles Whitman? Cause you don't hate it's ultimately a, a tragedy of the way that our benevolent creator designed the world that we're <laughs> in this situation where I, where the coyote killed my cat, where I want to kill the coyote. Look, this is all something that, you know, is regrettable in some sense and is kind of out of our hands, but I, I'm not going to suppress my, you know, my, my human urges here that I, I just don't think that they really need to be, I don't think there's anything wrong with them exactly. So I don't know. I mean, okay. So, so what is the I, I don't believe you when you say you didn't have any feel you you weren't a little bit like that's that coyote that killed my cat you weren't mad at it at all no not well, you're, at all. you're a lot more enlightened than i am i guess you're no, just it's, it's not even i i think i think that probably does it's it's at least adjacent to the, the my moral philosophy which which is i mean i think it I, I think that my not believing in free will has made me a better person I mean, I really think that, and it, and and it's examples like that. But of course, that could be begging the question, right? Because I'm yeah. also assuming here that retribution is bad. It's just morally bad. You know, uh, you so, know I was going to say that because I I actually don't think it has made you a better person if it makes you not avenge your friends after they're murdered. Like, if it's, I think it's good to avenge your murdered friends. So, I mean, like, if if oh, your yeah. non-belief and free will has okay, taken so, that okay. away from you, that's all right. Worse. Okay, but then okay. So what what does it mean to say? I mean, not now we're really getting into the weeds, but th- this actually may make the difference. 
what what does it mean to say that something is morally right? Because when I say that something's morally right, I'm saying something like it maximizes well-being. So you must think it would it would I would be tortured if I didn't avenge my murdered friend. Like I it would really cause me a lot of pain. So if I had to give a kind of moral justification, I, I would say this is this would be excruciating. Like so I think Sam Harris talks about this case actually, about how there was some guy, I think it was a a Jew who like had a chance to kill a Nazi who killed his family or something. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. but instead he turned the Nazi into the police who then the Nazi was let out of jail like a year later or something. And it, I guess it like, you know, 60 years later, he's still just tortured by this, that he didn't kill that guy when he had the chance. I'm saying that would be me if I didn't do that. So it's like, I have to do this. It's, yeah. I have no, I mean, yeah. Okay. But that, that's now we're back to consequentialism again. I mean, that, that all I can say here is that, yeah, you're not killing the coyote probably so that the suffering that you endure from not killing the coyote is greater than the suffering that you would actually cause the coyote i mean that sounds like that's what that's your argument here if i were going to give a consequentialist justification i think that's what it would be i mean obviously that's not what's going through my head but yeah if i had to give a moral justification then i think that that might be true yeah yeah but wouldn't it be better if you, if would, I mean, don't would objectively, wouldn't it have been better if you weren't suffering by not having killed that coyote? Don't you wish, I mean, oh. do you approve of your first order desire there? I mean, okay, well, I guess I hadn't considered what if I just didn't feel anything if my friend had been murdered, <laughs> because yeah. it seems like a pretty natural response. Oh, no, no, wait, wait, wait. I don't, I, it's not, I didn't <laughs> feel anything. I felt a lot of things, but, but right, wanting, right. wanting to, you know, but, but wanting to wanting like revenge or something. Yeah. Yeah. What if you didn't want revenge? Well, I guess I hadn't really been considering that because it's, it sort of seems like, um, what if you just, uh, didn't get thirsty? It's like, well, I don't know, <laughs> but that's not my name. Like, um, I do want revenge. Like, and I think that revenge is maybe something that would get at the heart of it more than hatred or um, retribution even like, cause revenge I think is something that I think can be warranted. Like the, the natural desire for vengeance I think is not irrational. I don't, it, it clearly doesn't seem like a moral thing, you know, like I wouldn't go around trying to give a moral justification of revenge, but at the same time, I'm not, telling people that they shouldn't have these vengeful feelings and shouldn't act on them. Cause I, I totally get it. But the, I get it too, but this is why I'm asking, you know, do, do, do you agree that it would have been better if you didn't? Well, I, I can't help that I have the, dis- I mean, would it have been no, better? No, I'm not saying I you can help it. I'm just saying what hypothetically, would it, would it be better if you didn't have that feeling? Would it be better mm-hmm. if you were like me? Okay. Uh, Maybe, but here's how it might play out if everyone felt like you. How it might play out is people wouldn't really have an issue or they they wouldn't really react properly when, you know, murders took place. Like if, if someone killed someone else and you weren't filled with a vengeful rage, like what would that would would that actually be a better world, all things considered? Like, wouldn't there be more murders? Like, wouldn't there be more suffering? If you if there is no severe consequence for killing someone who's close to you, yeah, but we're I'm not advocating for no severe consequence for killing somebody. I'm I, oh, you let that coyote off pretty easily, but that's not wait. So 
I thought we were talking about like a legal system here, like where where there are actually like the I, the, the coyote is not responsive to reasons, right? The coyote is right. not. Yeah, like, that's an important. That, yeah, that's an important compatibilist condition. Actually, is reason responsiveness. Yeah. So you, I mean, I, I might be out on a limb here, where most compatibilists wouldn't want to follow me because I'm getting <sighs> mad at a creature that's not really a moral agent because it's not reason responsive. Um, which yeah. is kind of, yeah. yeah. Well, that's yeah. So but, yeah, I guess it, it really I mean, matters whether we're talking about moral agents or non-moral agents. So, yeah, so I, we should I should be clear about which context we're talking about. True. Um, uh, yeah, but I, but at, at the end of the day, I think you can say the, the same thing. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. You know, if a human kills my son instead mm-hmm. of a coyote killing my cat, I don't think i would be i don't think i would be able to have the same i mean it's just the the stakes are higher the relationship mm-hmm. is closer that you know I, I i don't i sure i would like to think that i you know i wouldn't just want to like seek revenge um but i but i can say now that if i did that would not be that would not be morally necessary and in fact it would it would just be worse mm-hmm. um, if all i could think about was was revenge Right. I mean, all you could think about is how you didn't take revenge, like the the Jew who didn't kill the Nazi. Yeah, that, that would be worse too. That would be worse. I mean, right? If if I if if I'm suffering because I didn't cause somebody, you know, introduce extra pain into the universe, that's a scenario that we don't want, right? I, I and you can say that we don't want it because. I mean, there's two two different ways of saying that's a scenario we don't want. I mean, you might say it's a scenario we don't want because that desire should be satisfied. I'm saying it's a scenario we don't want because that desire shouldn't, it would be better if that desire didn't exist. Um, I mean, I, again, it seems like we're getting back to this kind of medicalized dystopia where it's like no one has really a, a, a human reaction to something like, I just don't really, I don't know if it would seem weirdly inhuman if people didn't have strong emotional reactions to, uh, okay, but I gotta, I keep, you know, it's, I'm not saying no strong emotional reactions. There's only one, I mean, have all the strong emotional reactions. We're all still human. We all still cry and bleed and, and I, you know, all that stuff remains intact. The, the only, we're only talking about one really specific thing here, which is the desire to introduce more suffering in the world you know, uh, mm-hmm. right. I mean, that that's the one thing I think that we could live without and would be all happier and better off without. And to me, that's what I'm talking about when I say something is morally better anyway. I feel like I've lost the plot a little bit. What, what is the problem with free will? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's a good place to, to, to table it. I mean, do, do you have like, do you have, are there like people listening that have questions for us or anything? Yeah, I was going to move it to questions here. Um, here, let me bring up. A... <laughs> what the fuck's your problem with free will? <laughs> well, I'm just like, we're disagreeing about hatred, vengeance, moral responsibility. It's like, yeah, I get that these things are all connected, but it's like, I, I, I'm, I'm just not, I, I know it's two or three steps removed, but it's like, I mm-hmm. think that there, and I'm seeing it in the chat, by the way, there are people who are libertarians who agree with you right now. And there are people who are, you know, compatibilists um, and uh, determinists. Like, it seems like it's an even split is what I'm saying. Huh. Like, it, it doesn't, there doesn't, your views on free will don't seem to be a good predictor 
of whose side you're taking in this whole like vengeance dispute that we're having. Well, it, 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 I wouldn't claim that it would be alone because I, you know, it, it, I, I would guess that the reason uh, a libertarian agrees with me is is by accident. They're they, they're not agreeing with me for the reasons that I'm giving, right? It, especially if the, the reasons I'm giving are explicitly a denial of free will. Hmm. So I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong, but yeah. Can you see that question there? Yeah. It's about the uh, the symmetry. Oh yeah, well that I try, I try to talk about. So yeah, if hatred is not ever deserved, is love equally undeserved? If not, what breaks the symmetry? That that was what I was saying in the beginning. Is that I think that the the, the asymmetry there is that hatred is almost entirely backward looking, and love is almost entirely forward looking. Um, you, you don't. I mean, if you really love someone, you you want what's best for them in the future. Um, well, I guess you could say if you hate someone, you want what's worst for them in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think love, um, I think love love ends up maximizing utility, or you know, love maximizes well being, uh, and hate uh, just clearly doesn't. Yeah, I, I mean, this is one area where I am tempted to argue against free will skeptics because this is a common thing as well, where it's like, you know, they want to produce this asymmetry between love and hate or praise and blame. Like, okay, maybe blame, you know, you can have this limited sense of blame, which is all compatibilist one anyway, but like you can have this limited sense of blame, but they're really fine with like, attributing praise and loving people but then when it comes to the negative side of things they're a lot more careful and a lot less willing to just kind of dole it out i would bite that bullet though i would say that um that praise and blame unlike love and hatred are more symmetrical um i think you can have a limited version of blame like you know like what i've been advocating for but it follows that you can only have a limited version of praise too right like i you know um, yeah. I don't know. So take a great person, you know, it's yeah, they, we want to praise them for pragmatic reasons for, um, there's, or just cause you like them, you like what they are and you like what they do. Sure. Sure. But that, but now that's a psychological motivation instead of a, an actual like moral reason. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I take things somewhat symmetrically. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't think it's, irrational i think there might be good reasons to have a bit of an asymmetry there um because as you mentioned love is kind of a positive force in the world we want more of it and we probably want less hatred um all things considered but you know i think hatred plays a role and serves a function as well um i I mean that's sort of what i was getting at earlier is i I think hatred does actually play an important social function you could make consequentialist arguments for it um psychologically that's not really the motivation and what I'm saying is it's fine to follow those psychological motivations. Um, it can be justified in a consequentialist way. But, yeah, I mean, I think hatred does play an important social function. And you would kind of be tortured to to try to abstain from hating anyone or anything. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't yeah, I, I, uh, I can't follow you there. Like, okay, uh, another one from Honestly Atheist. When Scott says free will, does he necessarily mean libertarian free will, or is there a distinction he recognizes between the two terms? Oh well, in this conversation, when I say free will, I'm, 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 unless I say otherwise, I've been talking about Emerson's uh, understanding of free will. 
Hmm. So is there, I mean, when it comes to compatibilist free will, I, I'm still trying to hone in on it. Like, what is the, like, uh, you know, one or two sentence summary, if you could do that, of like, um, okay, you don't yeah. like compatibilism yeah, yeah, yeah. because... Right. Right. So the difference here, you know, if I were to, if I were you know, debating a libertarian, we'd be debating, you know, something ontological, something metaphysical with you and me. I mean, it was stipulated almost from the very beginning that what we're talking about here is, a, is something more like the equator or justice. It's, it's, it's real, but it's a social construct at the same time. Right. I mean, that's so uh, I'm more talking about a concept right? I mean, how, how useful it's not, it's not, I don't think our, it would be a mischaracterization to say that what you and I are arguing right now is whether free will exists. That's weird. That's a weird way to put it because that's not the disagreement. The disagreement mm -hmm. is, is the concept of free will better for us or worse for us, right? So I don't know. It's not, it's, it's not the same thing. I don't think. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess I agree with you. I mean, because we, we both agree that the conditions I'm talking about exist and that they can be met or not met. Yeah. It's just I'm saying that's just what people mean by free will. Like when you do things that, you know, intentionally, voluntarily with approval of your first order willing under ordinary conditions, like, well, that's what people mean by free will. I mean, that's I guess one substantive thing would be, you know, what what follows from that. And so, yeah, that's that's a that's an area of disagreement for us, which is not just semantics or conceptual. It's it's, you know, OK, if if everybody thinks that this is true, if this justifies something like moral responsibility and hatred, is that good or bad? Um, you know, or, 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 or how about that? Or just, I, I guess one way to say it is that what, uh, the, the, on, the ontology you're describing, I disagree with the inferences that you're drawing from it. How about that? Like, I, I don't think um, hatred and retribution follow from the ontology you're describing. I don't think that the justification for those things follow from that. That could be one way. Well, I mean, we agree about that too, because I still felt the way I do now, even when I was a no free will person. <laughs> <laughs> so Fair enough. I, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just tricky. I mean, I, cause I don't, I, there's a part of me that really doesn't want this to come down to a semantic debate, you know, I know. but like it, it would be kind of anticlimactic, but at the same time, it's like, okay, I think there are, some different considerations in the background for me that might actually make a difference here. So like my claim, which maybe you agree with or not is like, I actually don't think I'm that far off if off at all with the common sense notion of freedom. So my claim is that the common sense notion of freedom is totally compatible with determinism, which is the majority view among philosophers, I think, but yeah, that, that's the compatibilist claim. I mean, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's something, well, there's something, because the compatibilist only needs to say that free will is compatible with determinism. But I'm saying that, like, not only is that the case, but pretty much what everyone already means by free will is so compatible you, with determinism. So here's a question. So do you see me? I mean, suppose suppose this conversation moved me, you know, in, in the way that I kind of thought it, it might, you know, at the beginning. And, and I go, yeah, you know, it's just not worth dying on this hill. Um, you know, I should just call myself a compatibilist because it, it retains most of the things that I, you know, I care about and it doesn't, 
do I do I then become a compatibilist that is just constantly arguing in-house with other compatibilists about moral responsibility and and punishment and uh, hatred or or do I or do, do does that mean I, I don't really have my compatibilist card? I think that there's a variety of views within compatibilism, just as there is within free will skepticism. And a compatibilist might be listening to you and agreeing with you way more than they're agreeing with me on some of these issues. So I think it, it just comes down to, do you want to call these conditions when they're met free will? And I would say yes, because that's already what we mean. I'm not suggesting things. I'm not prescribing <laughs> that we do something different. I'm saying, hey, all you nerds out there who are like, oh, you know, obsessed with science and stuff. It's like, we, you can just talk about free will. It's okay. There's yeah. nothing incompatible with free will and with like the scientific worldview. Yeah, but I am suggesting we do something different. So maybe that's the, 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 uh, you know, fulcrum there. How, could we like, if, how many people are watching? Could we ask like, uh, who, uh, you know, among the compatibilists that are watching, mm -hmm. do any of you recognize yourself in what Scott has been saying? Are you talking about yourself in the third person? Yes, I am. <laughs> okay. Because I'm, I'm imagining you asking the question, not me. <laughs> you can just ask the question, but right. okay, so. yeah. So anybody who's watching that's a compatibilist, I mean, do do you do you recognize your own views and what I've been describing? And do you think that what I've been describing is a compatibilist uh, position that you agree with entirely? Not like with except for this part, except for that part, but like oh well, no, not the not the compatibilist part, just the part about hatred, vengeance, retribution, like. I think that on some of the finer points, they might be with you. Cause like, as I've been saying, I, I don't think that these issues directly bear on it in the way that some free will skeptics seem to think where if we could just get rid of free will, then we would eliminate this enormous barrier to criminal justice reform. Like, I don't think that's true. Well, no, I, I don't, I don't think that's true either. But the reason I don't think that's true is, is because of, the, the real world that we actually live in and people are not always rational and they're not morally perfect and they still want what I'm arguing for is the justification for it. And so if we were all on that same page, I mean, again, what, you know, I, I'm, I guess I'm a, I'm a, I mean, I, maybe you would deny this, but I, th I feel like me and the coyote is a case in point here. Hmm. Um, so, huh. so what, what are people saying? I, well, James says war, um, <laughs> Um, some people seem to be uh, satisfied with what we're saying here. Um, Philip says, Scott, my views on this are pretty much aligned to yours, and I call myself a compatibilist. You're welcome to join the club and wage a civil war against everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Well, maybe maybe I just need to start telling people, like, I might be a compatibilist, <laughs> depending on what you mean by that. Well, that was that was probably already true, though. I mean, depending on what you mean by compatibilist, I mean, I guess I um, just don't think the. I mean, I also there's this other thing that I, you know, I, I don't like the word free will because the first question that pops into my head is free from what, and the answer, the compatibilist answer is nothing. I mean, it's not. Well, it's like free from external control. Like if you're just acting in accordance with your own will, then you know you're free from other people imposing their will on you like you're doing what you want because you want to do it not because someone else wants you to do it or something like that right but then i would just say volition covers that i mean i'm, I'm a volitionist well you know? i mean we already have a word for this sort of thing that we already have a term for it i mean you're the one who's saying like i, I think want, i'm the i want to preserve everything but i want to use a different word for some reason 
Well, but I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm in this, uh, I feel like I would be the one saying that, like, we already have the concept of volition. Like, why do we need this extra concept of free will that has all this like metaphysical baggage that comes along with it, that gets confusing. And like, if you mean volition, just, just say volition. Uh, I don't know. I'm and what I'm saying is if you mean free will, just say free will. <laughs> don't I don't it. mean free will. I don't think but I mean do, free will. Though. That's, that's kind of my claim that might be more controversial that like, the but the compatibilist notion is not far off from like the common sense notion and it's libertarians and people who kind of, I think that some people inflate free will, but I don't think we need to abandon free will because some people inflate it into this ridiculous thing any more than we would need to abandon God because Descartes said he, God can do things that are logically impossible. Okay. But like my, you know, my mom, for example, she, she's a pantheist, right? She believes that God is synonymous with nature and she just like constantly uses the word God. And it is so fucking confusing for people. I mean, people walk, come away from conversations with her thinking that she's like an actual classical theist or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, and I just go, why do you, why the, the word God is ambiguous. It has multiple different meanings. Like it, it, so does the word free will. It has multiple different meanings. Volition doesn't. Everybody knows what volition means. So I, I'm, I'm arguing for a kind of part of linguistic parsimony here, I guess. See, I was I was waiting for an example like that. That's why I had the Descartes thing on, on tap, because I was waiting for some kind of Atlantis thing where it's like, oh, uh, you're yeah. talking about Atlantis and like, right. But yeah, no, I mean, the pantheist example is interesting because no one in the West means that like when people talk about God in the U.S., um, they don't mean you know, the pantheist God. So you're just liable to confuse people when you do that. But I don't think that that's what I keep saying. I don't think I'm like reinventing free will in the same way that pantheists are talking about something that's totally different from what evangelicals are talking about. Well, where, where do you, where do you live? Michigan. Okay. I live in Southern California. Many, many people use God to mean (laughs) something synonymous with nature or worse. (laughs) So uh, it is uh, where I live. Somebody says they believe in God. It is you have no idea what they might mean. <laughs> well, I can't take responsibility for the depravities that might be happening in California. <laughs> <laughs> nor, nor, nor should you. Nor should you. And I wouldn't hate you for it if you were responsible. Let me throw one more thing at you about the practical side of this before we take a couple more questions. And you know, yeah. you've been very generous with your time. But oh no, it's, okay. I'm having a great time. Yeah, no, me too. But I, there's this. I, I want to emphasize again that this is a practical issue. This is not just like, um, you know, an abstract philosophical question that has no bearing on everyday life. Like, the question that I would want to ask anyone on any side of this is just like, what are we supposed to do about it now that, like, let's say I internalize your view of free will skepticism, or someone internalizes my view of compatibilism, or someone's version of libertarianism. Like what follows from that? What are we supposed to do about it? Are we supposed to act any differently um, as a result of this different conception of free will? And, uh, you know, so I, yeah, like I said, it's a practical issue. And I feel like a lot of free will skeptics in particular kind of lose sight of that. Like they, they get so uh, caught up in some of the thought experiments and some of the technical aspects that they kind of forget that this is supposed to have some kind of impact on our lives and like, you know, daily life too. Not even, this is not like a, you know, a far off concept, but the reason that I think free will might be valuable is because it, um, hang on. I have these bullet points here. I'm just, I don't want to, oh. um, this is one of the like two things I wrote down. <laughs> um, so I think that free will 
is important to people. I think it actually matters to a lot of people, whether they have free will. It didn't really matter to me. Like giving up free will was no big deal for me. Like I, I didn't really care. Like nothing really changed in my life. But some people claim to be like horrifically depressed when they hear about like determinism or incompatibilism. And like it really like kind of takes the wind out of their sails. Again, I don't really get that, but free will does matter to a lot of people. So if it can be preserved, I think it might be worth preserving at least for those people. But I think that they are right that, you know, incompatibilism or I mean, you know, free will skepticism can feel sort of disempowering in some ways. Um, whereas when you talk about free will, I think that comparatively is empowering. Like it, it means that you are actually in charge and like your conscious deliberation matters. Like it, it I, and I think that's true. Even if determin even if determinism is true, your conscious deliberation is going to alter the character of the natural world going forward. Like what you think about and how you choose to act is actually going to have an effect on the world and an effect on the people around you. Like your life and the lives of the people around you are going to be different depending on the choices that you make. And it actually is up to you what you're going to do next, which I think that we would kind of agree on. I think pretty much every free will skeptic would agree that certain things are up to you. And then you could say, oh, but it's not up to you that you would choose to do that thing. You know, you can't will what you will, what you will, to which I say, like, you know, it just doesn't really matter because it is still up to you what you're going to do next. And the power is genuinely in your hands. Um, to, right. Uh, but, but that's that gives us the, the fact that it's up to you in the sense that you are talking about right now um, gives us uh, character blame, you know, or or uh, I don't know what Caruso calls it, but it, it, it gives us the kind of moral responsibility where it's like, yeah, we can identify you as the agent who did it. And so you're the agent that we need to now like worry about. And, you know, and that's totally compatible with determinism. That's a weird sentence. Um, <laughs> but um, but I also want, I want to say though, that, uh, I think the, you know, the, the depression, um, thing, mm -hmm. you know, people become depressed when they, yeah. And I, and I've heard that too. Um, but I would, I would argue for the other side of it. And I would, and I would also, I would object to that. I would say that I think most of the time, um, the reason somebody is, is becomes depressed when they become convinced of determinism is because they are in some sense, misunderstanding determinism and conflating it with fatalism right that's depressing right no matter nothing you do matters but that's not what determinism says right on the other hand uh i think that um believing in free will can actually cause suffering like the kind of suffering that says that you know if 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 it's if you know if i'm right about this right and and um, moral retribution is actually a bad thing, then somebody who has this false belief that by not exacting justice, by not, you know, um, uh, uh, seeking revenge, they are they're, if they're suffering because they believe falsely that by not seeking revenge, they've done something wrong. They've failed to do something that they ought to do, and that's causing them suffering. I think we just, that's a case where the belief in free will has caused unnecessary damage to somebody or suffering, whatever. I think I just, it's, I think you, you could make both arguments either. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so um, someone just asked, what is the difference between 
fatalism and determinism. So determinism just means that everything is caused by antecedent causes or something like that. Like, um, and fatalism would just mean that, you know, your conscious deliberation doesn't really have anything to do with what happens next. Like, you know, your thoughts on the matter don't really affect anything. You know, whatever is going to happen is going to happen regardless of what you do. That's not what determinism means. Determinism doesn't mean that whatever is going to happen is going to happen regardless of what you do. The way that things turn out might be a direct consequence of what you do. And like, you know, your conscious deliberation plays a role in what you end up doing. But that's kind of my whole, uh, you know, kind of pragmatic argument for um, free will is that it does kind of put the power into your hands. And I think it could be argued that it's a form of bad faith to reject free will, bad faith in like the existentialist sense where you're kind of denying that you're really free and that you're really responsible. You're saying, I'm not free to do whatever I want, or I'm not really responsible for what I do. And like, that's a classic example of what existentialists have called bad faith. It's like, no, you are free to do whatever you want and you are responsible for whatever you do. And like, you know, that's something that's really impressed upon people by existentialist philosophers like Sartre and Simone de Beauvoir, and I really like them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's arguably a form of bad faith to even sort of say it's not really up to you what you do, or you're not free to do whatever you want. I mean, I don't, yeah, I mean, it's well, it's it's true that you have a limit you, that you are free in a limited sense to do what you want to do. And it's true that you are responsible in a limited sense, the kind of character responsibility that I'm talking about you know, for your actions. Um, bad faith is when someone infers, like takes that and then kind of equivocates on it and infers from it that they should be free of consequences for their actions. I mean, that, yeah, I agree. That's like a totally illegitimate move. But I don't know how often that really happens. I, I, you know, I don't know. It, and, and, and the, the cases in which it does happen, like, um, you know, guilty by reason of insanity. Uh, actually, I think that's, um, that's okay because sometimes that's true, you know? So I don't know. Here, let's take a couple questions and then I'll uh, finally let you go. I mean, it's, it's been really fun. It's been two and a half hours. Though. Yeah. Thank you for uh, sticking. It's been two and a half hours. God, it flew by. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I could go another hour. Shit. Um, let's, uh, there's a lot of coyote related comments here. (laughs) (laughs) Here, let's see here. Um, would you agree, Scott, that removing the coyote from the world on the basis this prevents others pet loss pain? Um, that's true. I'm preventing a lot of other people from losing their pets by going on my vendetta. Yeah, but you also need coyotes in the ecosystem too. And you, I mean, you get rid of all the coyotes. Right, we got William Lane Craig over here talking about how we need coyotes in the ecosystem. <laughs> well, hey, I didn't design the fucking ecosystem. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you that that kind of logic though, I think, could be abused, and you could say, mm-hmm. well, the, let's just remove all humans you know, so that, I mean, that prevents a lot of pain if you just got rid of all people, you know? So I don't know. I, that seems a little fuzzy to me. Mm. I mean, it still should, you know, I mean, even if it's purely backward looking, it could factor into the, you know, utilitarian calculus that we're making here where it's like, Hey, we've got a thing that kills pets. You know, I mean, like, shouldn't we remove that? Yeah. I mean, Mm, I think, well, I do think people are, 
responsible for their own pets. And what we did was when, you know, after our cats were eaten by that coyote, what did we do? We, we built a fence. I mean, and now that coyote can't eat our cats. That coyote has to eat, you know, rabbits or something else instead. Um, Someone else's cat. (laughs) Well, but that, but that, that other person should also, you know, not wait for the coyote to kill their cat and then kill the coyote. That person, if they're going to have a cat that's outside, build a fucking fence, dude. Like, what are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. So I don't know. Um, I mean, it's, people are saying I'm just trying to rationalize my burning hatred for coyotes, which might be true. Like <laughs> I said, my, my subjective motivation, I'm not like, I'm not like doing the consequentialist equations in my head as there's, you know, it's like, no, I'm just, I'm just motivated by pure vengeance. Um, Okay, there are a lot of good questions here. I just they came in all at once, so uh, sorry, I'm not a very good host here. Um, <laughs> I would hashtag Coyote Lives Matter seems to be coming up quite a bit here. Oh my God, what have we done? <laughs> oh God, I'm sorry. Um, I time when this question is the fact that desire for retribution. Right. Yeah. I mean, true. Yeah. I think the relevant point to this question is the fact that the desire for retribution was motivating the act and not a consequentialist consideration of other pets. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I will totally cop to that. Um, you know, I mean, I was just trying to play along, like, is there a consequentialist justification for, yeah, you know, for this potentially like, no, I mean, the fact is, no, I have a desire for retribution. I feel like I, you know, like that's the actual motivating factor. Um, yeah. Right. Like, don't kill the coyote. <laughs> Jesus. Oh my God. Coyote. Oh, coyote stands in the house. Um, okay. Well, look, I don't think I, I don't think I made you budge here at all, but um, I'm still glad that we got to talk through this a little bit because like I said, this is kind of a newer position for me and I'm, um, yeah, I think a lot of compatibilists might not be totally happy with uh, what I said at different points, but you know, I like I said, I'm trying to work through this in real time, and yeah, I'm glad that you came on to kind of push back against um, against my uh, my arc here. But you know, it's funny because when I was like 19 or 20, watching like um, theoretical bullshit videos, watching them, God, God's I'm Checklist sorry. 2.0. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> no, it would be funny because if you asked my former self, you know, um, which side of this should I be on? They would 100% be on your side. No question at all. Like this is kind right. of a recent development for me. So like I said, I'm glad that we got to uh, talk through this a little bit and, and work through it. Well, one thing that I learned here, though, which is, you know, at the start of this, I said that, you know, this is this is this is great for me because, you know, I, I at least from what I've heard you say so far, I recognize myself in what you describe of your former self. Right. I mean, so so I had to, there's a kind of trust that I have in you to really engage with what I actually think. And because you, you understand it, you could articulate it in a way that I would sign off on. And so what does that tell me? It tells me that you might, you might know something I don't, right. There's not, it's not like you're misunderstanding me and that's the, but as, but as we talked more, um, the less I recognize my, you know, my, myself now in your former views. Right. Uh, So, Mm -hmm. I mean, like, so it sounds like even when you considered yourself a determinist, 
um, retribution was still really important to you. Hatred was still really, really important to you as a, as a, a puzzle piece in the moral, you know, puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that it, maybe it makes a little more sense now that you would see compatibilism f- with fresh eyes and go, Oh yeah, that is, I'm more appropriately put here. Yeah. Uh, and 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 maybe it makes sense that I would see the same things you do and go, no, I'm still more appropriately over here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, I think we can actually agree on some of the facts and still come to a different conclusion for the reason that you just said. Because yeah, I, I think hatred is an important part of the social order. Like I think it would be a really weird wor- world if if people didn't. It would be inappropriate to <laughs> re- respond with anything other than hatred to certain things that people do and that people like I you know. And I don't know, I just don't like this kind of watered down version of it that, you know, might be peddled by free will skeptics. It's like, no, this is a reaction you should have to certain things in the world. Oh, yeah, I don't. It's the reaction that is, I mean, most that's normal, but I don't don't think that makes it normative. (laughs) Might be normal for a reason. I mean, it, it might have evolved because it's beneficial. Isn't that like a naturalistic fallacy or something? Oh, we don't like, need to worry about that. Here's another question. <laughs> <laughs> um, as, a morec- as a molecular neuropharmacologist, I have yet to meet a colleague in neuroscience who believes in any kind of free will. Doesn't that say something? Well, I not mean, really. it, for, yeah, no, it, it might confirm further that neuroscientists are not good at philosophy, which is something I yeah. already knew. Um, but no, I mean, look, it's a different thing, you know, talking about neuroscience and talking about free will, which is actually, you know, I'm glad this question came up because as I mentioned, someone was saying this on Twitter, like right before we came on where they were saying like, uh, you know, look, the brain is determined by physical laws, you know, like your brain did it, you didn't do it. And my whole point is like, you are a brain, you know, like saying that, no, I didn't do it. My brain did it. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah, but I don't think that you have to deny anything about neuroscience or about our understanding of the brain to say that you do things intentionally voluntarily with approval of your first order desires under ordinary conditions and you're a reason responsive agent like that all that stuff is totally compatible with neuroscience and that's all that compatibilists mean by free will and i would further claim that's all that pretty much everyone means by free will until they start um, becoming dangerous with a little bit of knowledge like they learn about libertarianism and um i think it kind of sets them they start adding to it and they start like inflating this concept. This is maybe a little more controversial take of mine, but I think that libertarians inflate the common sense notion of free will. Like, I don't think that they have the common sense notion. I think they take the common sense notion and kind of inflate it. And um, I wish they wouldn't do that. (laughs) And I think free will skeptics kind of, you know, they do it as well, but then they say, well, obviously we don't have that. It's this ridiculously inflated sense of free will. So therefore we don't have free will. Um, but yeah, I, I'm questioning that whole that whole series of moves. I mean, what, one one area where neuroscience might possibly make a difference, like an actual tangible difference here, is is the, the like the thing that I said earlier about you know what, what is it really is there a, an, an actual difference between having a tumor pressing on your amygdala and just having been like you know, horrifically abused your entire childhood, thus resulting it like, okay, so how about this? Like, so, so two, we have two identical twins, right? Like uh, a pair of identical twins separated at birth and thus reared apart. 
um, they both grow up to be uh, murderers, right? One grows up to be a murderer. One raised in a happy family grew up to be a murderer because of the Charles Whitman thing. They got the, the tumor pressing on the brain. The other one grows up to be a murderer because the family that they were adopted to just did nothing but like the most unthinkable possible abuse and torture, you know, and so that person grows up to be a psychopath or whatever, you know. So um, do are I guess so a, a question would be, you know, is uh, is there a, rele- a morally relevant difference there i i would say no it's it's tumor abuse it's the same sh- it's still something changing the brain or maybe you would say the opposite you'd say maybe there, no there's an actual relevant difference there for why we should hate one person and not the other or you know so neuroscience may come into play there yeah possibly i mean it's actually a good challenge for me personally i think that compatibilists have this is the kind of thing that compatibilist literature goes really into depth on it. I haven't been as interested in these sorts of cases, but, um, yeah, honestly, atheist asked like, you know, is there a distinction between justifying and hating or not hating Whitman versus Ramirez versus Kissinger? And it's like, yeah, I haven't really done a good job of, of articulating the differences between them. If there are differences, I just kind of made this general case that like having necessary and sufficient conditions for free will where there are zero counterexamples, I think is not an important standard. It shouldn't be a standard anywhere in philosophy. Um, so it's not like I'm special pleading here on that. Where like I, My claim is that if you have a conception of free will that works for all of everyday life, then you're done. Like You don't need to counter every single strange example. But like still, it, it's like compatibilists, I think, have spent a lot of time talking about the differences between someone like Kissinger and someone like Charles Whitman. Um, it's not something that I'm like particularly interested in. So I, I don't have it on the tip of my tongue here, but no, it's something that I should look into and have a better answer for. Cause I think I didn't really do an adequate job talking about like that, you know, how there could be a difference between these different cases. And I th- I'm pretty sure compatibilists have spent a lot of time <laughs> talking about how there are differences between these cases. Right, right, right. Um, okay, let's see here. I think that was the, uh, I mean, there are, there are a lot of things popping up here, but I think I might actually have to let you go now, unless you had something else you were about to say. One last thing, just in case anybody, if you or anybody else is interested, sorry. So, so the, this guy that I was talking about, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have said this, but I, just this book, uh, I, I got, I got to the end of this book and it, and, it, and I broke down in tears, which, uh, I, I don't know, but it's called against moral responsibility by Bruce Waller. Um, and ironically, this guy's got some really weird views. He, he wants to affirm free will, but he completely redefines free will into something very, very different free will for him. So, so he wants, he wants to eliminate moral responsibility while keeping free will. You can, you can table the free will part of this guy's argument, but the moral responsibility part, you asked me what, what, how would you like to see the world look different? If if we got rid of what you're talking about, um, th- this uh, if, you know because I don't have the time. This this is an answer to that question. He makes real pragmatic suggestions about how the world would and should look uh, if we get rid of this idea of of moral responsibility and and moral desert and hatred and stuff like that. So if anybody's interested, okay, excellent. Excellent. Um, Yeah, I guess just in closing, I would just say that I think that we have this common sense notion 
of free will. And I don't think it's at all in conflict with science, not in any way I've seen. Um, it's not in conflict with neuroscience. It's not in conflict with determinism. I mean, certainly there are notions of free will that are compatible or incompatible with determinism, including some common sense notions. But I don't think that you're just getting away from the common sense picture of free will by being a compatibilist. It's just that most people don't think about determinism and libertarianism and all that. Um, but look, I think it's useful. I think it performs certain functions and I like those functions. And um, yeah, it's just a part of our everyday conception of the world. I don't really see any good reason to get rid of it. Um, a lot of the reasons that people give to get rid of it, I don't really see how we couldn't make some of those changes in the world without just keeping free will. So I, I guess I have to admit that I think my position is more of a default because free will is kind of a part of the common sense fabric of our lives. Um, but that's sort of a more general epistemic view I have where I think you should just start with the common sense fabric of our lives and then kind of work from there. You don't have to like, you know, like Descartes, like tip everything out of the apple cart and then build from the ground up. Like, I think you can just start with the way things seem. And then if you have a good defeater, then yeah, sure. But I think that people feel like they have free will. I don't see any reason to tell them they don't. And yeah, I think it performs useful functions. Um, I think I just kind of overcorrected. I think that because religious people, you know, affirm free will and because they use it in all these ways that I don't like, you know, I ended up kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater and I didn't actually need to get rid of free will. I think that on my part, that was an overreaction. So I'll, uh, you know, I'll stop myself there. Yeah, I, I certainly, I, I concede your point that, um, that uh, you're defending, I, I think, what what should be considered a more default position. Uh, the difference between you and I is that you think there is no reason to give up that position, and I think there are um, morally salient reasons to to give up that position. Um, but uh, we'll still be friends. <laughs> well, that's what you think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Right. For, oh, my fucking God. I swear to God, this is the last thing. It's kind of a joke. Oh. Um, this question was asked right at the beginning. Are you a panpsychist, Scott? I'm panpsychurious. Um, <laughs> there you have it. Yeah, I'm. I I find the art. I think that panpsychism is a an extremely elegant solution to. And we're culture. out of time. Thank oh, you. No. Oh no! Oh, that was it. Okay. Yeah. Right. No, I I don't mean to interrupt you. I was just kidding. Panpsychism is an extremely elegant solution. <laughs> Uh, yeah, to the hard problem of consciousness, which I actually think is a real problem. And so uh, I'm, I'm interested in, see how, in seeing how panpsychism develops because it, I know it's kind of in its, I don't know, infancy or, but, but yeah, I, I'm, I find it very, very interesting. That's all. all. Right. all right. Scott Clifton, Theoretical Bullshit. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. This was great. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs>